Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thanks for tuning in to Game of Microphones. If you'd like to help us keep the torch lit through the long night, you can add fuel to the fire by going to gameofmicrophones.com and clicking our Amazon link at the bottom of the page. It's the same low prices for you, and Game of Microphones gets a little finder's fee from Amazon for sending you their way. You can also become a patron of Game of Microphones at patreon.com gompodcast or at paypal.me gompodcast. And links to both of those are at gameofmicrophones.com. Enjoy the show. If you want justice, you've come to the wrong place. I disagree. I've come to the perfect place. I want to bring those who have wronged me to justice, and all those who have wronged me are right here. I will begin with Sir Gregor Clegane, who killed my sister's children and then raped her with their blood still on his hands before killing her too. I will be your champion. Biters and breastfeeding ten-year-olds, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Master of Magnetism. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Queen of the Sniffles, and owner of my own N95 respirator mask. (laughs) And this is episode (laughs) 79. What's up with that respirator mask, Lady Rachel? Um... I'm sure a lot of people know that there are some very devastating wildfires going on in California, particularly northern and southern California. I happen to live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we are experiencing some of the worst air quality in the world at the moment due to the devastating campfire up in Paradise, California. So what a mess. my heart goes out to all of the victims of the fire and... You know, we're praying for you and have you in our thoughts and prayers. Likewise, same thing here. And uh, hopefully the air gets cleared up there soon as well. 
Jeez. Yeah, thanks. It's been bad. So on this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 7, Mockingbird. And in case you're not already aware, this is a series rewatch from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through Season 7. So if not, there's still time to take a dive through the moon door so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Let's jump right into it, Lady Rachel. Sound good? Awesome. Sounds good. You want to start with your top five this week? Oh, you're switching it on me. I'm switching it on you. (laughs) Sure. Okay. My number five this week is The Mountain. Oh, okay. (laughs) This is our introduction to the uh, latest actor playing The Mountain, Thor Bjornsson, who's currently the strongest man in the world. And uh, what a crazy scene that is, right? My God. (laughs) The camera cuts to him, and he's got this guy impaled on the sword, lifting him up over his head, and just smashes him down. And that guy is freaking huge. He's massive. I love the camera angle that they shoot when Cersei walks up to him. It's shooting from the ground up, and she looks like a peanut next to him. Uh. There's a famous photo of the two of them standing next to each other uh, on set as well. I think it's probably filmed or taken at this scene. And she's like up to, you know, like higher than his waist. But but the memory exaggerates everything, you know. So he's like monstrous. And she looks like Tyrion standing next to him. And uh, he's got the big sword, which is like the same height as her. Big, massive two-handed sword. And he's wielding it with one hand, just swinging that beast around. <laughs> it's so funny that guy comes up and he's like he's like mercy please mercy you know and he bows down and Gregor just lifts that big ass blade over his head and just chops away at him man oh my gosh I know zero fucks given so is he just killing those guys for fun like did they just round up some scoundrels for him just to cut apart I'm always wondering about this I mean I guess he knows that he is going to be doing this trial by combat and he asks who he's going to be fighting so that's how we know he knows so maybe he's training for that and they've got a bunch of prisoners or something lined up for him (laughs) i don't know every time i see it i'm wondering what the explanation is for that but uh he's just you know they're just fodder for that blade basically totally i love that um you know he goes who am i fighting and cersei goes doesn't matter and he just kind of very slightly shakes his head nope (laughs) doesn't matter (laughs) so sick yeah he's a mega badass totally major and improvement from the uh the previous two actors not like they were terrible or anything you know like props for being the mountain but this guy's the real mountain you know what i mean absolutely for sure do you ever see the video of him where he's uh dressed up like the hulk he's got like the big ripped shirt and he's all painted green and he's throw in a freaking washing machine or something (laughs) but i I need to google that yeah setting world records for throwing washing machines you know mega badass he has the current world record for the heaviest deadlift oh my god for deadlift wow yes and don't quote me on this my husband's gonna kill me if i don't get this right i want to say it was like I, I don't even want to say, I think it was either a thousand pounds or 800 pounds, or it might've been even more than that. Yeah, but I think it's more than that for sure. 
Maybe it was, oh, you know what it was? It was like 1,400 something pounds. <laughs> I just remember that because 14 is my favorite number. Oh, so yeah, it's that somewhere like around 1,400 pounds. Like that's insane. Yeah, because I know Ronnie Coleman has done like 1,100 or more than 1,000. So it has to be over 1,000. If you beat Ronnie okay. Coleman at deadlift, you're a badass, man. Gosh. Ain't nothing but a peanut. This ain't nothing but a peanut. Nothing but a peanut. Um, the bar straight up like bent when he picked it up too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh man, yeah. So basically, Gregor just does not give a fuck. He's just a killing machine, and uh, it's, it's just fucking crazy. <laughs> Anything uh, you want to <laughs> add about this, or should we move on? I do just love how Cersei just walks over the guts like yeah. doesn't even phase her he guts the guy kind of like and then his guts fall out and she just walks right over him <laughs> like it ain't no thing it's so rugged yeah it's yeah it's totally crazy that's kind of a thug life moment for cersei in my oh, yeah. opinion for gregor too they're like the thug life combo moment absolutely <laughs> so what's uh what's your number five my number five I labeled the not-so-virgin queen. Ooh. And this is, of course, Danny. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really liked the scene with Dario because it really shows Danny's growth as a character because in season one, when she is basically a slave to her brother and she gets sold off to Drogo... Um, she's really a piece of property at that moment. And she took charge of her own body and learned how to use it to her advantage. And we see this when, you know, at first Drogo's like raping her and then she kind of takes charge and gets on top of him and faces him. And she kind of became a woman in the Dothraki, which don't have really much shame about sexuality sex and sexuality so I, I i labeled this the not so virgin queen because clearly danny is not a virgin mm-hmm. and she's just not cut out to kind of play that role of a virgin queen so this would you uh, would you say it's fair to say that she became the call in this instance um yes absolutely <laughs> i totally love that i agree with that <laughs> she's the new, um, dro- new drogo you know new drogo for sure take off your clothes i love that line so we we see this kind of come to fruition with dario because we know that she's had some type of attraction to him they've flirted a little bit we've seen them interact and you know He's in her private quarters. Like, right? your door is well guarded. Your window is not. And she's, I think she's kind of excited to see him there, but is playing it off like, these are my private quarters. Like, I will summon you if I want you here. Right. You, think, you, know? you think it's an accident that window isn't being guarded? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, I found it interesting. Again, he's bringing her flowers. He swam to an island a mile offshore for these. Yes. And again, she's just kind of flits them off. Like, <laughs> don't do that I don't again. even freaking care about <laughs> And he goes, they never knew a woman who didn't like wildflowers. And <laughs> they have like this great little banter going back and forth. And, you know, I, 
you know, I live to serve you, my queen. I'm good at two things. I'm good at war and I'm good with women. And this little flirtation just kind of keeps going. And, you know, she's like, you have thousands of women to pursue. And he's like, yeah, none of them are you, girl. Like, you're my, you're, you're it for me. There's only one and and she does not want me. (laughs) And I love how he says, my sword is yours until the day I die. I thought that was a fun line. I'm just wondering what sword he's talking about. That's yeah, exactly. That's what I was. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, like, my sheath is yours. Oh my god! Um, You know, let me do what I do best, and she goes, "Do what you do best. Take off your clothes." (laughs) And he's like, "Boom!" Dario's fine ass, like right on screen. (laughs) Yeah, and I love that she like Dario butt cheeks too close to the screen. She straight up like looks at his package too. Like she like looks at his face and like her eyes like solely glare down and then just like stop. And she's like, I like what I see. (laughs) That's a nice sword. Hilarious. So funny. So, um, continuing with kind of her scenes in this episode, the next time we see her, we see Dario leaving and Jora coming in to see her and sucks to be Jora. Yeah, clearly this upsets Jora. He knows immediately too. Like he knows immediately. Oh yeah. It must be very early. (laughs) Yeah, and Dario rubs it in. She's in a good mood. You know? Oh uh just like, what in the actual heck is going on here? Yep. Um so I kind of labeled this this particular part of the episode, um, the lesson in ruling, because again, you know, she's talking about executing everybody, just kill everybody. And again, it's kind of echoed that this is all the slaves have ever known is brutality. Like, let's sit here and think about it. She's like, you know, let the priests worry about good and evil. Slavery is real. And, you know, Jora is kind of talking her down off the ledge again. You know, her first instinct is to just kill everybody. <laughs> that yeah. is her enemy. Um, Jora's really good for her. Like the way he tempers her. her, you know? Absolutely. So um, they talk about Zaro Zon. I can never remember his name. Uh, oh, um, Hisdar. Hisdar Zolorak. Yes. So they start, um, she goes, who's that, who's that guy that came into the, to the pyramid to ask to bury his father? And, you know, Jorah reminds her and she goes, you know, he can be my ambassador, basically go back to Yunkai and tell every master what's happened in Vereen, mm-hmm. that they can live in my new world or they can die in my old one. And I kind of loved that sentiment is this is her taking Jorah's advice, but not backing down on her stance. Mm-hmm. She has she has a platform. She has a reason. She has her own way of doing things, but she is showing in this moment that she's listening to her counsel yep. and applying some type of restraints on her feeling. Yeah, she, she yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I love it. I think she knows that 
they probably ran into each other in the hallway because, you know, she's like, you're here early. And yeah, he's like, yeah. Like, she's like, fuck, <laughs> you know, you know you're not early. As, shit. he's on, you know, who's going to know? <laughs> he said something like not as, not as early as others or not as late as others, something like that. Yeah, he it mumbles was, it. Um, you're here early, later than some. Mm-hmm. You don't approve, and she has like a. She doesn't even try to deny it. But she seems slightly vexed by the later than some remark. <laughs> yes, you can see her absolutely. like eyes kind of like roll a little bit. And I think she understands why this would probably upset Jorah, and you can tell that he's kind of visibly upset by it. And she's not going to let him into her feelings about that situation, but but she'll throw him a bone policy wise. Make him yeah, feel like you know, won. yeah, like no. Tell him you changed my mind because, in fact, he did. Yeah, totally. And this does tell the viewer that you know she's she's listening to her her counsel and giving and, credit where it's due. You know, she's not like taking credit for everything. And I, you know, I love that um, Jora. He stands a little bit taller after she says that, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, like thank you. I appreciate that." that bone to go kind of rub back in Dario's face in a way. Like I changed your mind. (laughs) Yeah. And man, how about Danny's outfit in this scene? Oh, I love it. That dress like, Oh my God. So sexy. Holy sweet baby Jesus. You know, (laughs) you know how much you love her. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the big, like open spots on the side and it's like scantily clad sort of, but also not at the same time. It's very, it's, I mean, classically sexy. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's revealing, but it's revealing in all the right spots that don't, that it doesn't make her look skanky. Right. And she's, she's pretty ripped. Like you can see definition around her abs and stuff and she, like her stomach I is love flat that. like a washboard. Yeah. And mm. I love that, you know, she's, she's not skinny. She's healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean that, and I'm not saying that she has an ounce of fat on her body, but she's healthy. She yeah, has she's muscle. She's not like anorexic. She looks, yeah, yeah. Like strong and fit. And she. Big time. I hate saying thick because that's such a horrible word to say, but she she has substance about her. Like, she's got a booty. She's got some thighs <laughs> on her, like a mu- muscly thighs. She has beautiful collarbone and the shape of her body. Like I love that healthy look on women. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not like super buff and you're not like crazy skinny either. She has like the most perfect body on the planet. I'm so jealous. Uh, (laughs) mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Pretty awesome. So funny too. uh, When, when he says, she says, you don't approve. And he says to her, it's not a question of approval. It's a question of trust. Um, and she's like, oh, you neither approve nor or, nor trust. And he's like, why would I? The man's a sellsword. And she's like, didn't you? Weren't you a sellsword? So are you. But I, I, and I trust you. And he's like, shit. Like, you know, like he knows she shouldn't trust him because he's been spying on her and, and everything like that. So he's yeah, like, yeah, that's my, very my true. Point exactly. You know? you know, but she, she reiterates to Jorah, like, I would never trust Dario the way I trust you. Like that was kind of her sentiment in that, in that um, conversation with Jorah is like, of course I wouldn't trust him with that. Like 
I would trust you with something like that, essentially. Mm -hmm. So um, she's giving credit where credit's due. She loves Jorah, just not in a sexual way. And that's unfortunate for Jorah because we know that he loves her and would probably want to be with her. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think, you know, she again, she loves Jorah, but just not in that sexual way. But she's giving respect where respect is due. Like, she's telling him, like, you are my trusted advisor. And I would never trust Daria with something like that. Yep. So at least he's getting some credit. (laughs) (laughs) Friend zone. Yeah, hardcore friend zone. He has some good good advice to her in this scene, too. Like you were saying, tempering her from wanting to kill everybody. One of his lines is, uh, the slaves you freed, brutality is all they've ever known. If you want them to know something else, you'll have to show it to them. And I thought that was a good line. It kind of made her think. Even at first, she didn't react very well. Like, and repay the slavers with what? Kindness? A fine? A stern warning? <laughs> you know, she's all pissed off, but she figures it out eventually. And this is the same sentiment that Jon Snow tells her on the beach at Dragonstone after she found finds out that Yara lost the fleet of ships about taking her dragons into King's Landing. And, you know, he goes, if you just keep burning cities to the ground, it's just more of the same. It's just, you're no different than anybody uh, else. The line where it really hits her is where uh, Jorah says, I wouldn't be here to help you if Ned Stark had done to me what you want to do to the masters of Yunkai. You know, and that makes her think. And it reminds her of how... She's already killed one person that didn't deserve to be killed, which was Hisdar's father. Yes. And that sort of puts things back in perspective for her and makes her realize that she needs to have some way that they can defend themselves and opt out, <laughs> you know, and, and have another chance to prove their worth. So I think Absolutely. she ends up, she makes a dangerous decision, but uh, she makes the more moral decision, I would say. Yes. But uh, it's decisions like this that allow the Sons of the Harpy to rise. That's true. If, by not just wiping out all the masters. So any other notes that you have for our not-so-virgin queen? I think there was a couple more things that I had from the first scene. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was a funny role reversal when as she makes Dario strip, because usually it's, it's the girl who's stripping for the guy. That's true. Which is pretty cool. And... Um, the first episode we've seen Dario in a couple episodes, I think, but uh, it made me think of this show that I just watched, which had the actor in it, Michael Huisman, and it's called uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Have you heard of it? I think you've talked about this before. I, I'm still, it's on my watch list because it sounds really good. Nice. Yeah, it's, a, it's on Netflix. It's really good. You should definitely watch it. Or the bent neck lady will find you. Uh-oh. I don't want no bent neck lady coming up to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably a good plan. All right, so awesome. moving on to my number four. My number four is House of Black and White Foreshadowing. Okay. And I picked up a few things in that first scene with Arya and the Hound. When they find okay. the guy sitting there dying after he's been stabbed through the gut... Um, and it's a pretty cool scene because uh, they're, they're talking about, you know, what happened to him and how he is probably going to die. Like he knows that and wh- why he hasn't like tried to kill himself, basically. 
and they have some good banter back and forth um, where Arya sort of bends down and asks him questions about his mortality and why he hasn't killed himself. And uh, the way that she sort of bends down and gets on his level and she's confidently kneeling to speak to him, it, it was just like the way that she kneels down next to the the poison pool in the house of black and white. Oh, with the little girl. With the little girl. That's right. It reminded me the same like look on her face, the same way that she kneels down and they, she does the same thing. She basically is convincing somebody to, <laughs> to kill themselves, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, she, they have a little, a couple great lines where, she says, so why go on? You know, why haven't you killed yourself? And he says, habit. And then she, he, uh, she says to him, nothing could be worse than this. Like, just sitting there dying. And he replies, maybe nothing is worse than this, you know. Death and nothing. And she has another response. Nothing isn't better or worse than anything. Nothing is just nothing. <laughs> the guy is like his head cocks and he looks at her. He's like, who are you? <laughs> and even that line, who are you? It's something that's repeatedly asked to her at the house of black and white. And she's trained to say no one, no but one. here she's yep. Arya and she, she says that openly. And, uh, it's, it sort of foreshadows that she never really becomes no one, but it also just foreshadows the, the identity conflict and the, consistent theme of Arya having to ponder who she is and she could be Ari the orphan boy or or squab on the the boat from the salt pans you know what I mean or, or all these different characters weasel Lana <laughs> yeah, yeah just anything so uh it's it's funny she Arya and Reek or Theon, you know, depending on who you want to call him at that any any given point, they both have these different identity conflicts going on throughout this whole story, which are kind of interesting. And in different ways, Arya is like consciously making the decision to become different people, whereas Reek is being brainwashed and tormented and tortured, and is developing like a split personality. You could say from trauma based mind control. It's pretty Absolutely. hardcore. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I like this this scene because this is the first time she flat out told someone who she is. She's like, yeah, I'm, my name's Arya Arya Stark of Winterfell. Except for and, finally confiding in Gendry and uh, Hot Pie. Yeah, where exactly? But I mean, this is like it took earning co- confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no beating around the bush. This is like immediate. Yeah, there wasn't any lies up front. It's like I'm Arya Stark. From Winterfell. And the hound is straight up like, I'm her captor. <laughs> yeah, so the the fact that they're telling this guy the truth, I, I found a little bit of, um, you know, symbolism in this. Because after the hound kills him, he goes, that's where the heart is. And being that Arya was from kind of an honorable family, and they told the truth, and they were honorable, and it got a lot of her family killed. I thought that there was a lot of symbolism there that Mm. that's where the heart is, is in telling the truth and being honorable. And you can look at it as a positive, but also from Arya's perspective, that might be a negative because her family died for it. Yeah, true. 
that dying guy had some good lines too, like, uh, can I have a drink? Dying is thirsty work. <laughs> that, or that was pretty it's funny. time to go. Yep. <laughs> Take and, matters uh, into my own hands. Yeah. And I like um, how the the hound gives him, you know, he, he he says, I wish it were wine when it's water. And it's just like the hound, you know, the hound is always like, fuck water, bring me wine, you know, and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. he's like, so do I, you know, that's all he wants is some wine. And then uh, just like takes the guy off guard and just stabs him right through the heart while he's distracted and happy for a second. So his like, yes. last moment is kind of like, you know, a, a moment of levity. And then the guy cocks his head upwards to look at the hound and they make eye contact and the hound nods like you're welcome you know <laughs> yeah doing what you know i'm yeah. trying to help you here brother doing you a favor yeah so that's where the heart is that's how you kill a man ah! a spider jumps out of nowhere I know. <laughs> how do you sneak up on the hound man the first time i watched that i jumped so fast like i was so not expecting that yeah <laughs> totally just- you know, so so do you know about the the details about Biter? Um, from the books. Uh, I don't know how much they really like, get into in the show, or if you can see it or not. Like but his, like his crazy teeth. Yeah, they're like filed down to yeah. points. Yeah, and so I remember that in the books. Nice, yeah. Biter and Rorge are two of the prisoners that were with Jacques and Hagar, as Yorin is uh, taking the 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 inductees north to be part of the, uh, you know, the, the black brotherhood basically. Um, so Arya mentions that, but, uh, I thought it was funny timing after, right after saying, that's how you kill a man biter bites him. And that sort of ends up being the hounds downfall. It sort of basically kills the hound. Um, he, this bite gets infected and weakens him and, makes him susceptible to Brienne's overpowering of him in their fight. Cause I don't, I don't think Brienne would have necessarily won if the hound wasn't weakened from being bitten and feverish as a result of this bite. Interesting. Okay. Um, I know that they go into that a little bit more in the books, like that he was kind of sick from it. Right. I'm yeah. not sure we really get that much of it from the show other than, you know, it, irritates him Mm -hmm. and you know so i i I agree with you just knowing what i know from the books that maybe brianne would have not been able to win that battle if he was at his full strength yeah because he's the hound you know i mean she's brianne and everything but he he's the hound he has to be able to fight the mountain yes you know so um i just thought it was like you know Funny coincidence, like, that's how you kill a man, and this is also how you kill a man, getting bit. So, it, I mean, it's also possible that the hound did die, and that the uh, that priest guy may have, like, used magic or something to revive him, or something like that. Or, oh, yeah, when he found him, yeah. he was, like, and he coughed, and... Yeah, yeah. that storyline's a little different in the books as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, very different. Sandor, yeah. It's it's fucking awesome, basically. Uh, read the books. Read the books. Yeah. I remember that part of the books. It was really very different from the show, but really cool, really, too. Really, really cool. And yeah, basically, the Hound is presumed dead, but there are speculations about a character that we meet that may be the Hound in disguise. Um, yes, yeah, disguise. So- isn't he disguised as like a monk? 
Yeah, almost. people people think he may be the uh, the novice monk at the Quiet Isle, where Brienne ends up going. His horse is is uh, is there. The elder brother, who runs the monk facility, basically, he's like the you know the head ruler of the of the monks of the Quiet Isle. He says that he found Sandor dying, and that the he you know he confided him and told him all this stuff about hating his brother and what he was doing, like trying to save Arya and all this, and that he says the Hound is dead to Brienne straight up. But I think that that may be more of a metaphor for the kind of per- like how Theon's dead. Yeah, yeah. That the persona of the Hound, the uh, the hate-filled, you know, stressed out kind of monster monster guy is Jackass. is dead. Yeah, yeah. Jerk is dead, and that he's he's he says he's found peace. You know, so maybe that's that means that Sandor is still alive, and he's like through meditation or something found a way to release his burden um which doesn't necessarily bode well for a clegane bull coming up but there's maybe something will happen that'll knock him out of his trance his happiness and bring out the old hound again kind of the way that it happens in this show you know he sort of finds peace (laughs) yeah yeah he finds peace sort of with the chopping wood with his homies and his uh, little cult that he's hanging out with and then they all get killed, and it sort of snaps him back into it after he's all healed up and ready to go again. So we could see something similar happen in the books. Very true. Yeah, there's there's also theories about who the elder brother could be, because um, he he apparently died at the at the Trident, and uh, or nearly died, but washed ashore and ended up surviving. So people, he has a shaved head and everything. People think it maybe it's. Rhaegar Targaryen or something like that. Oh, what? That'd yeah. be kind of crazy. That'd be nuts, right? And uh, Rhaegar is the elder brother of Daenerys and Viserys. So, you know, there's all kinds of like little hints and everything. What One thing that George does, which is really cool, he'll hint towards something and then it's not always true all the time. Kind of like prophecies are un, like not, not trustworthy. Sure. Some, sometimes hints are like like routes in a maze that just go to a dead end. Exactly. So it just always keeps they you keep wondering you on your and exploring. Toes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is just kind of a cool scene. We get to see uh, Arya gets to add a name to her list and remove it really fast. This is also <laughs> where they find out that Joffrey is dead. Oh. Interesting. Because the hound... Yeah, the hound thinks that... Cause um, the guy says, you know, there's a bounty on your head. And, oh, right. You know, the king's dead. The, yeah. And guess that's what the king does when you tell him to fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. And he goes, the king is dead. You know, you killed five Lannister soldiers and I'm going to collect my hundred gold or silver stags, which we learned about, you know, Tywin upping the bounty. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, the hound's like, I'm a fucking walking bag of silver over yeah, here. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty brutal realization, huh? Yeah. So Arya's face when she finds out that Joffrey is dead was kind of like a kid in a candy store. She's like, all right. And then she's like, damn it, he's on my list. I wanted to do it. Fuck, yeah. So funny. So uh, yeah. they're talking to Rorge, and but they don't know what his name is. Arya's just like, you guys are those prisoners that were with us. So uh, the hound's like, he on your little list. He can't be. 
I don't know his name. And of course, Rorge doesn't know what the list is. So when the hound asks him, what's your name? You know, he's just like, Rorge, like, what's it to you? And then she just <laughs> pulls out Thank that you. fucking needle and just jabs it right through the heart. And uh, the hound gives her credit for that precise blow with the, the sword. You're learning, he says, as she <laughs> stabs him right in the heart. That's how you kill a man. And that's all yes. Arya wants to do. And this uh, scene having all these hints at her um, house of black and white training where with the kneeling and the, the talking of death to someone who's about to die and the, the question of who are you and all of this, the whole purpose of the house of, of black and white is for her to become a killer. Right. And then this scene, which sort of encapsulates the experience of the house of black and white encoded into it culminates with her killing somebody as well. Absolutely. Her whole journey with the Hound is very foretelling of her journey at the House of Black and White. Yeah, definitely. definitely. This is this is a really condensed version of that, though, in this specific instance where yeah, it's, cool. it's packed into one short scene that we really start seeing kind of her transformation from Arya Stark to, you know, the her her storyline of being a faceless man. Right. And think about this. We were, since we were talking about um, the hound persona being dead for a while and then him snapping back into it. So it's the hound and then the hound's dead and it's Sandor and then it's the hound again. Arya is around at this point, but Arya sort of becomes no one for a little while and then ends up snapping back into Arya as well. So there's like a 360 um, identity reversal in that instance as well kind of a little a little parallel to that that story of the hound and to theon because theon starts off as theon and ends up as reek for a while and then he ends up coming back too that's and, true you know, yeah so. this is recurring recurring themes in game of thrones for sure yeah yeah it's pretty awesome anything else you want to mention about um this scene or the aria stuff um since we're on so this this scene and um another scene a little bit later on in the episode is my number three which That's i my just number like, three too okay yeah so um just i just dubbed it like their continued journey together the hound and um aria's continued journey and so i called it a, aria loses the fight to the hound's charm oh this is their yeah, turning that's, point this is her turning point and i was just gonna say because she's a little concerned about that bite on his shoulder. And I think before the red wedding, she wouldn't have batted an eye at it. She'd been like, you fucking deserve it. Get over it. I'm not going to help you. I hope you die. Right. But we see a little bit of um, concern right. coming in with Aria and the hound is shut up about it. <laughs> no right. fire. <laughs> right before. Yeah. He's like, no fire, no fire. And, uh, we really get to see the hounds sort of PTSD kick in here as he like freaks out when she walks towards him with the burning log. And, uh, Arya looks shocked that she won't let, that he won't let her help him. Even knowing the potential consequences, like he knows that, that, that his wound is fucked, but he's still not letting her help. Like you could die, dude, you know? And even more shocking is the fact that Arya is just trying to help him at all, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God. So he, you really, you really see, I think, you know, she always knew that he was kind of afraid of fire. Right. That 
she knew she knew the, of the rumors of the story. And so she kind of walked towards him really fast with um, that fire. And we see how stressed out that makes him and, you know, no fire. And then she kind of sits back down and is kind of like, wow, this he's actually truly fearful of, of fire. Yeah. And his sentiment, he's like, shut up about it. Shut up about everything. <laughs> no reward is worth this much. Like that's what he says. Thanks to you. I'm a walking bag of silver. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm as stupid and, as that hog you stuck back in the village, getting myself cut and stabbed and bitten. <laughs> Wish no reward is worth this much trouble. Wish I'd never laid eyes on you. She's yeah, sitting there cleaning needle. Kind of just listening to him vent a little bit. I feel like he's venting here. And then we finally hear... He's like a poor little kid at this at this moment, you know what I mean? Yeah, we finally hear his, his side of the story about yeah. his brother, you know, pressing his head to the fire like a mutton chop, all just because he was playing with a toy. Yeah. I mean, this is... I mean, talk about having, like, sharing issues, my word. Yeah, so we we get that story, and he goes, the worst thing that it was, it was my brother who did it, uh, and my father who protected him. He told everyone my bedding caught fire. And it's uh, sort of similar but opposite of Jamie and Tyrion, which have, like, the way that the Hound's relationship is with, is with his brother is, like, the opposite of Jamie and Tyrion, even though... Uh, Tyrion's father didn't protect him as well. That's true. Yeah. So, and then, you know, Arya, I think moving along with a feeling, you know, sorry for the hound at this point, you know, she's like, at least let me wash it out and sew it up. Like, mm-hmm. we got to, we let me take care of it. We don't need to burn it. I understand that you're afraid, basically. But um, yeah. we need to take care of it because it's not looking good. That piece was like hanging off his neck there. Yeah, it's pretty rugged. Pretty rugged. There's there's one moment where like you can really see that Arya is starting to sympathize with him, where he's like sitting on the log and he's kind of like facing the other direction and like almost like he can't look at her as he's like ta- telling the story, and she's like you know, pressed me to the fire. He's pressed me to the fire like a nice juicy mutton chop. And she's like, why? Thought I stole one of his toys. I didn't steal it. I was just playing with it, you know? And you can see after he, he pauses for a minute there and the camera focuses on Arya. And you can see in her eyes that she really, like, she sees what he really is in this moment, that he's just like a poor tormented, like, kid who's been suffering from PTSD and is just had a shit like a shitty life you know yeah no wonder like, he's so angry yeah and she, she sort of starts to relate and like understand him at that moment and that's when he s- says that the pain was bad the smell was worth worse but the worst thing was that it was my brother who did it you know and it's it's fucking horrible man so rough yeah it's a sad story story yeah. for sure and i think that rory mccann had an amazing performance in this scene like very sympathetic and uh, like little ticks and stuff that you would see from somebody who's experiencing PTSD that thought made it seem very realistic. So um, yeah, great, great job. Great performance. Yeah. 
And then he, after saying, you know, like, you know, my father who protected protected him, told everyone my bedding caught fire, you know, and then he says to Arya, you, you think you're on your own, you know? <laughs> like, like, nobody right. was there for me, ever. At least Arya had a, you know, a family that cared for a while, but she's pretty much on her own now, so. Yeah, you know, and the Hound has kind of taken that role of protecting her, so I think in a weird way, she kind of... Right, like, you think you're on your own, I'm here protecting you. Yeah, they're both kind of protecting each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's so, protecting him from getting a major infection, and he's protecting her from, you know, just the horrible world that they're walking <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So instead of trying to kill him for once, she tries to save him, and uh, this may be the moment where his name gets removed from her list. Maybe. Yes, it could be. That's a very good point. Yeah, maybe. So how about your um your number four? We kind of skipped into your number three, right? Yeah, that was my number three. Anything I didn't else want, you want to talk have, about that? Yeah, I have one more note. So we are back in Iceland in this scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> because of the ponies, the black and white ponies in the background. So I just kind of chuckled at that nice. because they're, they are clearly back in Iceland because those are Icelandic ponies again. <laughs> Classic. And so the scene where they come up on the man dying, they're on actual horses. Oh, black, really? Brown horse. Yep. And Mid then episode in, switch. Yeah. And then in the scene where she's cleaning out his cut, there's Icelandic ponies back there. That's killer. <laughs> so it's funny. Gotta love a pony. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my number four is the long bath. <laughs> oh, and Malisandra and her perfect tits. <laughs> Everything in this scene is fake, man. I mean, her tits yeah. are real, I think, like the actress. But <laughs> aside from that, if you're in show context, everything's fake. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, this is a this is an important scene for uh Solis. And she walks in and Malisandra's in the bath and she's like, oh crap, you know, like sorry. And she's like, I didn't mean to disturb you. And Malisandra's like, you could never disturb me. Yeah. And you know, go get that vial over there. You know, not that one. Don't touch that one. You don't even want to touch that one. <laughs> Which I thought oh, was yeah, great. that was crazy. You don't even want to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> don't even touch that one. Hilarious. And so Solis is kind of nervous and, you know, glancing over at this beautiful woman in the bathtub and mm-hmm. knowing knowing that Stannis and her have, you know, gotten together. And, you know, Malisandra kind of makes a joke to her. And, you know, I looked into the fire this morning and the Lord told me that, you know, you need to take this will be your last bath in a long time while like make it count and Solis is like what <laughs> yeah Malisandra's like that's it. a joke and she's like yeah you know humor isn't my one of my strengths <laughs> Malisandra it's like she's devoted to the truth like did you catch what she said her lies. like uh that's because most jokes are lies and you're mm-hmm. devoted to the truth I would dispute this I think that the best jokes are often rooted in truth 
You know, and there's one quote comes to mind from The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. That was a joke. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, she she's giving Celise kind of some credit here because she's like, you know, you, you're very devoted and I'm not a very good joke teller and it's okay. And she, you know, she starts going into deception. Right. This is crazy. She's like revealing some of her tricks here, man. Yes. And, you know, basically these tricks are to trick men into seeing the Lord of Light's power. But, you know, then they actually see it for themselves at some point and they realize like the deception is what brought them to the truth. And I found this very interesting. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. This one, this, this, you know, plumes up to a big cloud of black smoke. This one will make a man piss himself with fear. You know, this one will make a mad, a man mad with lust. And Celise was like, oh, you use that on Stannis? As she's like giving her the up and down looking at her booty and stuff. She's like, no, yeah. no, I didn't. And she's like, oh, she's telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... You know, Celise is like, no act done in the service of the Lord is, I, I don't remember the exact line, but basically. Right. No act done in the service of the Lord can ever be called a sin. It looks like yes, she's trying to convince it. herself when she's saying that. <laughs> kind of. I mean, good Lord, you know, you're sitting in there looking at this beautiful woman that, you know, your husband's like had sex with and, you know. That's how devout she, devout she is. Yeah, and it's it's supposedly like a chore just to get Stannis to like consummate the you know like to try to get him into bed like they, she got him to do it once or twice you know and it always turns out to be a miscarriage but he's just like not a very sexual person apparently. Sure. Yeah, and you know Mollus Hunter goes you know don't be upset. Men never crave what they already have. It's only flesh. It needs what it needs. Right. You know, so she's trying to make her feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And referring back to Stannis again, you can, he's stiff as a board, but not not in a good way, you know? Not in a good way. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Yep. So this is where it becomes very important to Solis's development as a character. And as a first-time viewer, this is a foreshadow that you would not really pick up on the yeah. severity of what Malisandra is leading her to kind of come to her own conclusion without saying it up front. Yeah. So questions. This this gives me questions. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it gives me questions too. Um so Celise is telling Malisandra that they think she thinks that Shireen should stay home because she's basically a pain in the ass. Yeah, and she has heretical tendencies. <laughs> and Malisandra doesn't disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> she's like, yeah, true. that's true. <laughs> and, you know, Malisandra starts telling Celise, like, you know, you don't need lies. You can figure kind of this out for yourself. You're strong enough to look into the Lord's light and see the truth for itself, however harsh it is, however hard it is to understand. The Lord needs her. Mm-hmm. And basically what Malisandra is saying to her, I believe, in this moment is 
we're going to sacrifice your daughter at some point on this trip. <laughs> right. And yeah, the crazy part um, is uh, that she, she says before that, she, uh, yeah, she says, you don't need powders and potions, my queen. You don't need lies. You are strong enough to look into the Lord's light and see his truth for yourself. And at this point, I'm thinking, oh my God, are they like, are they sharing a vision here of Shireen burning? Melisandre seems to already know, like we need to bring Shireen. Does Selyse find out that that they're going to burn Shireen in this moment and keep it a secret until right you know, right before it's about to happen when she agrees to it. And then she freaks out like right as it's about to actually happen. I think she finds out here because they both look into the flames. I think she finds out. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what they're telling us that this is the moment where like the truth about Shireen is revealed to Celise. That's fucking crazy that Melisandre has been planning it all this, all this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that Celise keeps it a secret and kind of goes along with it. And maybe she hasn't quite processed it yet. And she's so devout to the Lord of Light at this point. Like she doesn't have any second thoughts about it until like the moment it's about to happen. And Shireen's like, mother, help me. You know what I mean? Like it's fucked up. Yeah. So I, I do think we, we know that we know that Malisandra can show people visions in the flames and cause she's shown Stannis yeah. these, these visions. So when they both look into the flames together, I feel like knowing what happens in the future, that this is where, um, Solis finds out that Shireen is going to be burned. And that, I think that's the only reason that Solis ends up, you know, submitting to Shireen going with them. I just had a crazy thought. Okay. So Melisandre is going over all the tricks and what these potions do and everything. And then she tells Celise that she's strong and she doesn't need lies or potions or anything. But she just had Celise go over and touch a bottle. Maybe she had that bottle coated with something that would make Celise <gasps> open to suggestion. And oh then she's gosh. manipulating her after saying, you don't need deceit. You don't need potions. You're strong, you know? And it's just like, Selyse is open to suggestion. And she's like, I'm strong. I can handle the truth, you know? And then she's just manipulating her into being suggest, like open to the, the concept of burning Shireen and going along with it. Like That's this- crazy. I like that. Isn't that Deception. Nuts? Yes. And that kind of ties into the theme of deception of this, you know, kind of scene. Right, yeah. Oh my gosh. Great catch. I like that. Like, she was just there over, like, over with all the potions and stuff, touching things, and Melisandre could have easily set that up. It's. I mean, she told her, go over and grab this bottle for me. You know what I mean? This exact bottle. Yeah, this specific one. You know, it's gonna... You're going to touch it. It's covered with this substance. It's going to make you open a suggestion. And then I'm going to convince you to burn your daughter alive. It's okay. Just go get the bottle. I I really like that theory, Duncan. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks. It just popped into my head like we were talking about it. So who knows? That's awesome. You can't awesome. trust anything Melisandre says, right? No, not at all. It's And it makes the deception even more convincing that she seems to be confiding in her while she's really just manipulating her, if that's the case. You know, like letting her in on a secret, which is the key to having her swallow the poison hook, line, and sinker. 
Totally. I like that. Very cool. Yeah. So that's all my notes on my number four. All right. So we covered both our number threes. That brings us to my number two. My number two is Tyrion's champion. Oh, this is my number two as well. I named it the champion. So we might as well go all over all three iterations of the potential champions, right? Like I just had uh, the Oberyn scene in here, but let's start with the first one where he's talking with Jamie. And yes, uh, he, okay. cause it's his, Jamie's his first thought for being his champion. He always is, you know, he's always been Tyrion's champion since he was little. And he, he stopped Cersei from pinching his little pink cock when Oberyn was oh, visiting. That you know story I mean? was so horrible. Yeah. We'll get to that. But yes. uh, Jamie is Tyrion's champion, you know, at the Vale in his first trial by combat, he wants to call Jamie, but Lysa doesn't want to wait for the weeks it would take for Jamie to ride on horseback all the way up there. So she forces it to move ahead more quickly. And uh, Bronn is just his second choice, you know, and it again in this episode. But before we get there, so uh, there, uh, Jamie is pissed off as this scene starts, and he's like, I made a deal for you to keep your ungrateful head and your ungrateful neck a little while longer. You know, and, and Tyrion's like, uh, sorry, what am I grateful for? <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of going back and forth. And, you know, he threw it away. You threw your life away. Like, he's like, I couldn't listen to her standing there telling her lies. I couldn't do it. He's like, you fell in love with a whore. And book readers are like, for a second time, you know, because we know about the first time Tyrion fell in love yes. with a whore. Which Guess is what was uh, her name? Tysha. Yeah, actually, yeah, they talked. You talked about it in the show too, and that first she- scene with Bronn and and um, Shay the annoying Shay, whore. The annoying whore. Yeah, <laughs> more like an annoying whore. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he he just has a penchant for falling in love with whores. Poor, poor little guy. Poor guy. And um, so he he points out to Jamie that... Uh, he's, oh, he also says that, and I was stupid enough to think that she'd fallen in love with me. But uh, he points out to Jamie that the deal he made with Tywin is everything that father wanted, you know? You do see that. He gets you back as his heir, future Lord of the Rock. <laughs> I like that, Lord of the Rock. That's pretty cool. The Rock. Yeah, he ships me off to Castle Black, out of sight at last. All so perfect. And then I like this line. Um, t- he's, like, explaining another reason why he decided to do the, the trial by combat. And he said it felt so good to take that from Tywin, to take away everything that he wanted that you gave him in that deal. And it reminded me of this scene. I was just watching the Frankenstein Chronicles with Sean Bean, you know, Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a great show. And uh, there's this scene where this woman is confessing to killing these people. And he thinks that she's been killing kids. And she, like, adamantly says that she hasn't been killing these kids. And she's, like, sentenced to death. She's about to, like, go to the gallows, basically. So afterwards, Sean Bean's saying to this other character, he's like, why wouldn't she just admit it, you know? Like, she's going to die anyway. Why wouldn't she t- tell the truth? And the guy's like, just for that extra little pleasure of foiling you for one last time and, you know, leaving you wondering and getting the best of you. And so it's sort of similar with Tyrion in this moment. Like, 
like potentially condemning himself to death and trial by combat and foregoing his opportunity to live in peace at the wall just to spite Tywin that one last time. It felt so good to take that from him, you know? Absolutely, because he makes a point earlier in this scene because Jamie goes, you think this is a joke? He goes, or this isn't a joke. And he goes, of course it's a joke, just not a very funny one. Yeah. And, you know, he does make a really good point. Like, why should I go live at the wall for a crime I didn't commit. <laughs> yeah, he's like I mean, a comedian in Watchmen. It's all a fucking joke. Everything's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. It's all a fucking joke. Everything's a joke. It's just not very funny. Yeah. And, you know, so I can see why that would feel really good to take that away from his dad. Like, I'm not buying into your bullshit. I'm not going to be shipped off to a place that I don't deserve to be. Yeah, I'm not letting you get everything you want. You know, me exactly. out, of your, out of your way, Jamie doing all that. It's so funny. So he's uh, he's like, he knows I'm innocent and he's willing to sacrifice me anyway. Just fucked up. And Jamie's like, oh, he's he's willing to sacrifice, willing to sacrifice any, of us. any of us. Not you. You're the golden son. You could kill a king, lose a hand, fuck your own sister. You'll oh, always be goodness. the golden son. <laughs> Jamie's not liking that. <laughs> Careful, I'm the last friend you've got. And uh, he, <laughs> Tyrion's, he's, he's, he did that thing where, like, when you quit your job, you want to be like, fuck you, fuck you, to your boss and, like, everybody that you didn't yes. like. Like that scene in uh, in Half-Baked. Scarface quit his job. Still waiting on that heifer, Julio. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. (laughs) And so he's like, yeah, I got to tell them all what they really are, that I would love to see them all choke on poison and die horribly. (laughs) And uh, Jamie's like, yes, brilliant speech. (laughs) They'll be talking about it for days to come. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. So Tyrion's like, I can, I survived one trial by combat, even though you weren't there to save me, implying now you're here, like you can save me this time. You can save me now. And Jamie's yep. like, like he's honest, brutally honest with Tyrion again. Like he confides in Tyrion and tells him things that he doesn't tell other people. You know, like just admitting in the first place that he could no longer fight after having lost his hand, which was the perfect person to admit it to because Tyrion hooked him up with Bronn, you know, so it worked out. But uh, this is his second time doing that same thing. He's like, my my training has proved that I can't beat a stable boy with my left hand. You know, he's super blunt and honest about, like, I still can't fight, man. Like, I can't help you. You know, and Tyrion has an amazing response. I fucking love this. He's like, where's your sense of adventure? Even if you lose, imagine the look on father's face when you fall. You know? <laughs> Our family name snuffed out with a single swing of the sword. Tyrion condemned to death by losing the trial by combat, and the eldest son, the, the future Lord of the Rock, potentially, you know, snuffed out as well. And it's just such a twisted and but amazing way to look at the situation, like sacrificing both of their lives. And I love Jamie. He's like... It is tempting. Yeah. <laughs> it is tempting. Yeah. And be- right before he says that, they have like, or right after he says that, they have this this moment where they're looking at each other in the eyes and just like imagining going out together on a suicide mission. 
and like the glory of it and the joy of spiting their father and it's it's just a great moment but between the two of them and it's the total opposite connection of the hound and Gregor you know his brother where they just hate each other and are mortal enemies and then here it's the opposite Tyrion and Bronn or, or Tyrion and Jaime are talking about like dying together and you know <laughs> going out in their a lives blaze of together glory. yeah it's like the end of butch cassidy and the sundance kid where they just run out into the gunfire and bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it's just i don't know imagining jamie and and uh Tyrion going out together just made me think of that for some reason but totally i just loved Tyrion's way of putting it in perspective just imagine the look on father's face when you fall, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Tywin would be, that would be like the worst thing imaginable for Tywin, I bet. Absolutely. Totally. Which would have just, Tyrion would just love it, you know? <laughs> I mean, it would be better for them both to live, but if, if they have to die, that would be the way to do it. Yes. Hilarious. Um, so, you know, uh, he, he's like, I can't, I can't protect you. You know, it's, it's not going to work this time. And he's like, well, you know, Braun fought for me once. He'll do it again. If he wins, I expect I'll be in his debt for the rest of my life. And, uh, Jamie says, if he wins, he's like, well, will you find him for me? Um, but who does, who does Cersei plan on naming as a champion? I hope it's Sir Marin Trant. I'd love, or I'd enjoy watching Braun disembowel that pompous child beater referring to that, uh, Sansa scene. Yep. And uh, this is where it gets intense. And he's like, no, not Sumerian. And Tyrion, you know, thought this was going to be easy. And as smart as he is and like picking out Tywin's plan and how Jamie played right into it earlier, like he should have seen this coming. He should have known there's only one real choice that Cersei would have to pick for the champion. And of course, it's the fucking mountain. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So... So the next time we see Tyrion, it is uh, Bronn entering, you know, his his second, his last resort for a champion to fight for him. And right off the bat, you can tell something's amiss because Bronn is dressed really fucking nicely. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you have new clothes. Yeah, he's got like a half cape and like all these fancy patterns of doe skin gloves yeah oh my god (laughs) amazing and he seems happy with it and you know he seems like pretty stoked about this new this new status and position and uh everything and stoked about stokeworth yeah yeah and i have in my notes uh uh-oh like he seems too happy about this new money and uh, that means it could be problematic for Tyrion. so he's like "I, i sent for you days ago and he's like, uh, I've been a bit busy. Doing what? My lonesome bachelor days are over. I'm to wed Lollis Stokeworth. And you remember who Lollis is? She's she's the girl in the books that gets raped during the mob with Joffrey and has a gets pregnant, right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, she's raped by like a hundred guys and ends up they find her like the next day stumbling around naked in an alley or something, and she got yeah, she was impregnated during the rape, and it's like a low—you know—it's like a bastard from a lowborn, unknown gutter person, basically. So it, it ruins Lollis's reputation. Um, so it's like it's not somebody that anybody else would pick to marry in King's Landing, but for Bronn, it's like, 
all I got to do is kill her sister and I got a fucking castle, you know? So that's all Bronn really cares about. So, uh, women fall from their horses and break their pretty necks all the time. Right. How crazy is that? And he sort of, uh, gives Tyrion a knowing, like a smug little grin at that point. And that's when, uh, Tyrion's like, oh, you know, you and Cersei belong together, you know, like, uh, why did why did you, you and my sister deserve each other? Why did you even bother to come? And this is where Bronn gives him a chance, you know. And you once said, if anyone ever asked you to sell you out, you double their price. Tyrion has a great response: Is it two wives you want or two castles? <laughs> One of each will do, he says. But if you want me to kill the mountain for you, it better be a damn big castle. And Tyrion's, you know, kind of shit out of luck here. He doesn't have the resources at the moment. He's kind of in a bad way financially. And uh, he, he, he's, he says he can offer him gold and gratitude. Well, he has gold, but what can, I, what can he buy with gratitude? Um, he, and he says, if I emerge from this with my head still on my shoulders, I may one day rule the North in, in uh, Sansa's name. And I could carve out a big piece of it for you and it's like if and may and could it's bloody cold up north and lollies is soft and warm and close you know and Tyrion's like fuck you can see in his face at this point like he's panicking like he thought that Bronn was his ride or die basically yeah uh, you know and you can see in his face uh, he is freaking out and uh Bron, you know, tells him, you know, puts it in perspective again. If I gave you the choice between fucking lollies and fighting the mountain, you'd have your britches down and your cock out before I could blink. (laughs) (laughs) True statement. Yeah, Tyrion's like, does he frighten you so much, the mountain? He's like, "Uh, yeah, dude, he's fucking Godzilla. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he fucking terrifies me. me. He's the Hulk. Uh, No, sorry, Hodor's the Hulk. Um, who would who would uh, the mountain be in, in like superhero? He'd be Juggernaut, of course. Yes, I was gonna say From Juggernaut. X Men, right? <laughs> yeah, you nice. Yes, great minds, you know. So he's fucking Juggernaut. You'd he, he, I'd be a bloody fool if he didn't frighten me. He's freakish big and freakish strong and quicker than you'd expect for a man of that size. And that's that's telling for Bron to say because remember when he was gonna fight the Hound. He was like, yes. I, you're, you know, you're big, but I'm fast. Or, you know, I don't remember what the exact quote is. Bronn takes, takes pride in his, in his speed. And I like this moment because, you know, Oberyn is also a fast guy. And he's legendary for being, for his, his combat speed. And Bronn pretty much predicts exactly what's going to happen with, with, with uh, Oberyn and the mountain next episode right here. He's like, maybe I could take him. Dance around until he's so tired of hacking at me he drops his sword get him off his feet somehow that's exactly what Varys does he spins all around him gets him all tired out he's swinging his sword everywhere eventually he gets him with his spear and he drops his sword and he gets him off his feet just like Bronn is saying here and uh Bronn's next line but one misstep and I'm dead and this foreshadows exactly how Gregor literally grabs Oberyn by the foot because of where he steps. A misstep. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. A misstep after getting him off his feet somehow. And that's what kills Oberyn, a misstep. And uh, it's just like the amount of foreshadowing here is just like an 11 
you know? And so he's like, he's like, why should I risk it? And this is a heartbreaking line by Tyrion. Because you're my friend, you know? Like, fuck, dude, like, I need your help. And he's like, I... I'm your uh-huh. friend, you know, and they we've we've been over this before. Like they there was that moment a couple scenes ago where like they became friends, you know. He's like, like I'm not just your cell sword anymore. Like no, we're we're friends, you know. Like they be, they had articulated that. So he's like, you know, yes, I'm your friend, you know. But when have you ever risked your life for me? You know, I like you, even though you're a pampered little shit. I just like myself more, you know. And Tyrion handles this heartbreaking news like like a fucking champ, man. You know, he's like, I understand. And Bronn's like, I'm sorry. It has to be this way. And he's like, why are you sorry? Because you're an evil bastard with no conscience and no heart. That's what I liked about you in the first place. <laughs> Which has, it's just so true. Yeah, and it, like... That had to make Bronn at least feel a little bit better because it's so fucking true and they both know that that they love each other. You know, it's it's understandable that the mountain is so fucking huge and badass and Bronn has so much shit going on for him right now. He has a lot more to lose than he ever has beforehand. You know what I mean? Sure. It's one thing to kill that knight up at the Vale. Yeah, he had a lot more to gain in, like, in that circumstance. crazy armor and... You know, it was in a, like you just said, in his best interest to do that at that right. time. And going up against the mountain is really—it's suicide. Yeah, like it's... and Bron knows that. Do you know what everybody says? It's suicide. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. You can't win. It's suicide. You can't win. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's just fucking brutal. And Tyrion gets it, you know? Like, he uh, he understands he wouldn't want to fight them out either, you know? So uh, he he's like, we had some good days together, you know? Bronn says that. And it's like, he's pretty much assuming Tyrion is dead at this point, which is horrible. Because he's like, if I'm not doing it and I might be able to win, he's like, odds are whoever you're going to find isn't going to be able to do it, bro. You know, like, it's not looking good. So it's like, we had nope. some good days together. And Tyrion's like, yes, we did. And he reaches out and they shake hands. And like I was saying before, this was Tyrion's last hope. You know, it was his backup uh, for his champion. And he just can't let go of his last hope. He's gripping on to Bronn's hand here. And Bronn is like, you know, it's hard for both of them. You can tell Bronn like reaches down and taps his wrist and like, kind of like if he's just like you know after a few seconds he's like i gotta go you know (laughs) like you can see he like cuts it short and he like he won't look at him he's like he's feeling sad as well in this moment you know what i mean and he's like i gotta go before i cry and he starts walking out and knocks on the door and as he's uh waiting there for the door to open he has one last question for Tyrion, which is fucking you know crazy he's like what what will you do and Tyrion says I suppose I'll have to kill the mountain myself. Won't that make for a great song? And, uh, yeah. And it would, man. Like, that's a fucking epic concept. It's like the David and Goliath situation where the underdog defeats the giant <laughs> by against all odds. And, uh, Bron has a, has a, a great response. I hope to hear them sing it one day, you know, and he fucking he means it, man. And it's a really fucking sad moment. Like odds are they're never gonna be able to fucking chill again. And they're you know, they're both really sad about it. Yeah. 
wishing for the best. It's a really sad scene. Really, really sad, man. Yeah. Yep. I was, you know, it always makes me really sad for sure. Um, so anything else you want to add about that or should we move on to the Oberyn scene? No, that's it for Jamie and Braun. Those are all my notes on those two champions. All right. So Oberyn arrives to visit Tyrion in the black cell and it's in the darkness and he strolls in with the torch and Tyrion sort of on instinct, he just reflexively smiles, you know, he has a grin and you can, you can tell he likes Oberyn, even though Oberyn was one of the judges in the trial and they've had sort of intense uh, meetings. <laughs> you can tell he likes But him. I think Tyrion knew that Oberyn was the only level-headed person on that jury. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, definitely. Was truly trying to get to the truth of the matter and not just going along with the sham. I would agree, 100%. And so uh, he has a funny, funny line. I imagined you'd be at a brothel at this hour. And so uh, he's like, well, I did spend some time with an absolutely bl- stunning blonde the other day. But uh, that, so he's basically tells Tyrion, Cersei approached me. We spoke a great deal about her daughter. She was trying really hard to pretend that she hadn't come all this way to sway me against you in the trial. I think she may have even believed it herself. And um, he has a great line, making honest feelings do dishonest work is one of her many gifts. And by that, he means manipulating people with emotion to uh, go along yes. with her uh, her deceptions and her intentions. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. So uh, he's, he's, he hates the Lannisters. He's had harbored the most giant grudge for 20 years or whatever since the, uh, since the incident with Elia. So it's, it's rare to meet a Lannister who shares my enthusiasm for dead Lannisters, he says. Which is <laughs> That's such an awesome line. Uh, she desperately wants to see you killed. And uh, so uh, Tyrion's like, well, she didn't need to bother you for that. It looks like I've already basically taken care of that myself. You know, I'm going to be fighting the mountain, it looks like. So he says, the joy she will feel when my head leaves my neck. She's wanted this for a long time. And Oberyn responds, yes, I know. And Tyrion has a look on his face like, what the, how the fuck do you know How that? do you know? Yeah. And it alludes to the story he's about to tell about how they met many years ago. And Tyrion thinks he would have remembered that, but it's unlikely because he had just been born. You know, so he's not really remembering anything from that, from that time. Um, Oberyn's first time leaving Sunspear, really, he... Uh, he goes on a trip to Casterly Rock. His first time away from Dorne. And he didn't like anything about it. Not the food, not the accents, nothing. Like, all the people were jerks. <laughs> and uh, the, the biggest disappointment, though, was you, Tyrion. You know, and... Like, the whole way from Dorne, all anyone talked about was the monster that had been born to Tywin Lannister. A head twice the size of his body. A tail between his legs, claws, one red eye, the privates of both a girl and a boy. The one red eye thing may be referencing how Tyrion has two different colored eyes in the book. Although That's what I kind of caught on to when he said that was yeah. that might have been a little coup to the book that does Tyrion have a black 
a brown eye and a purple eye? I think it's a green eye and a black eye, but I'm not really sure. A green eye and a black eye. Okay. I'm not really sure. Um, That's probably right. So he's like, when, when, uh, you know, and Tyrion is like the whole time where he's talking about like head twice the size, a tail claw. Tyrion's like, kind of like his face is all like twisted up and he's just like insulted, you know, like. It's you know it's it's not every day that someone who he's never met talks about he- hearing things about him like this. And she's like, and finally, you know, your sister. She promised she'd show us to show you to us, and she brought us to you, and she unveiled the freak. And up until the next little paragraph, Tyrion has seemed very hurt by this monologue, you know, and he's he's like on the brink of like. He has tears in tears. his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the moment where everything, where everything, the truth starts coming out, and we learn more and more about Oberyn, and we know that he's a man of logic and a man of common sense, based on the way he's, you know, described things, like his interpretation of 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 love and his the the way that he feels about things. Everything that he does is very logical, you know. So it's like, you know, your head was a bit large after Cersei unveiled the freak. Your head was a bit large. Your arms and legs were a bit small, but no claw. No red eye. No tail between your legs. Just a tiny pink cock. And uh, this is very symbolic, you know, of Tyrion. Everybody always thinks he's a monster. But he's just this, you know, just this guy. Like, just this good guy with a good head on his shoulders. And the public is convinced he's evil from his time from him being a hand the hand of the king when all when he saved them there's always like like um a false way that people see Tyrion and other people as well like you know it's not necessarily one of the things we learn from uh the hound and Sansa is and Sansa and Tyrion also is that monsters don't necessarily look like monsters you know what i mean sure of people, course you know she thought that the the hound was a monster she thought Tyrion was a monster, but then the, it's Ramsay who's the monster, and it's the people right. that she thought were monsters were people trying to protect her and save her. Um, so it's 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 counterintuitive, and it's not always what you'd expect. And it's you know don't judge a book by its cover. But the other cool thing about this, oh, so so he goes on. We didn't try to hide our disappointment. That's not a monster, I told Cersei. That's just a baby. And this is what I... I love I would, how he says that, too. He goes, that's not a monster. Yeah, that's just a baby. That's just a baby. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And <coughs> this is sort of like an emperor's <coughs> new clothes type moment. You know what I'm talking about? Where the emperor is telling his subjects, look at my grand new outfit. You know, Look at this baby. He's a hideous monster. Look at my outfit. It's fancy and amazing. And he's standing there and he's naked, right? But all the subjects, yep. all the subjects are like, "Oh, I, I love your your new outfit. It's amazing," and they're buying into it. But then, wisdom from the mouths of babes, right? A, a child comes in and points out, you know, the emperor is naked. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with all of you people, right? So that's Oberyn in this moment. That's not a monster. That's just a baby. Like, what's wrong with you, Cersei? You know, and this is an award-worthy performance from from Peter Dinklage here as Tyrion realizes that Oberyn was the only one 
you know, who saw him for who he really was, even through the propaganda and the lies. And, uh, it like his, his realization that like comes across his face in the, in this moment is, is amazing as he starts to realize that Oberyn's on his side and he wasn't just insulting him. He was, he was just reciting the propaganda that everybody had been told basically. So, uh, you know, Cersei freaks out and says to Oberyn back the, uh, when they were kids, you know, he killed my mother. And she went on to pinch his little cock so hard that Oberyn thought she might pull it off until Jamie made her stop. Like we mentioned before, Jamie sticking up for Tyrion, even when, when he was a little baby and was defenseless. Always there to protect Tyrion when he can. Luckily for Tyrion, since the rest of his family hates him, you know, the, I bet the Absolutely. hound, the hound would have liked to have a protector like like Jamie, an older brother that would have cared for him and not held his face to the burning embers and stuff, you know. So uh, Cersei showing like what a psychopath she was even then. I mean, she's she's a little kid, you know. She was hurt like hurt because. You know, her mother died giving birth. That's, you know, that adds a little bit like of a layer of sympathy to this, but she's still showing like sociopathic tendencies. Like, completely. It, it doesn't matter. She's angry because her mom died, but I mean. But she takes it to an extreme, you know. This is a new level. Yeah. It doesn't matter. She told us everyone says you will die soon. I hope they're right. You should not have lived this long. And like, she was a fucking monster even then. And she's gorgeous. So that goes to show you again that the monsters. Monsters aren't always the ones that look like the monsters. Sometimes it's the beautiful ones that are the monsters, you know? Um, the Black Widows. Yeah. Well, uh, sooner or later, Cersei always gets what she wants, Tyrion says, and this is the moment where everything changes. And what about what I want? Oberyn replies. And the first time viewers are like, what? And Tyrion's even like, what? But this is about to be the most epic turnaround of the conversation like ever. Justice for my sister and her children. If you want justice, you've come to the wrong place. An epic line. And he says, I disagree. I've come to the perfect place. I want to bring those who have wronged me to justice. And all those who have wronged me are right here. I will begin with Sir Gregor Clegane. And at this moment, it hits Tyrion, like the realization of what Oberyn's talking about, and his mouth contorts reflexively with this realization, and it's an amazing performance by Peter Dinklage, as he doesn't need to say anything, but his face shows that he's realizing what's happening, and his mouth like tightens up a little bit, and and smile uh, and relief just wash over his face. Yep, and uh, Oberyn goes on. You know, I will begin with Sir Gregor Clegane, who killed my sister's children, and then raped her with their blood still on his hands before killing her, too. And he has this, while he's giving this monologue, he's standing there, and the light, the torch is, um, like, in a holder on this, this, um, this support beam, like this column behind him, and it's just shining behind his head, giving him, like, an aura of, like, a halo of light almost around his head. And, uh... It's just like really epic looking. And then he p- picks out the torch and holds it out in front of him. 
I will be your champion. <laughs> it's just fucking amazing. So intense. So good. And that's when like the catharsis like really happens with Tyrion and like he like breaks down and it's just like in, in thankfulness and in amazement that somebody who barely even knows him is who happens to be like one of the greatest fighters in the seven kingdoms is going to throw it down on the line for him. Like he, he has no reason to, to help Tyrion personally, even somebody who's loyal to Tyrion, Bronn wouldn't do it, but, but the red Viper's going to do it, you know? And like Tyrion is like overcome with emotion at this moment. Fucking beautiful. Yeah, like it's fucking beautiful. Peter Dinklage is such a great actor. Yeah. He's amazing. I get choked up every time at this scene. Every fucking time. I do too. <laughs> it's like the look on his face. It's like surprise and relief and amazement and happiness. And it's still like there's a twinge of nervousness still in his face because yes. like it. He still has to fight the mountain. Right. Like he has a champion now, but at least like. He doesn't have to fight the mountain, but now Oberyn has to fight the mountain. So it's like the look on his face is just all these different yeah, it's emotions. Amazing. Such great acting. And he's right to have a little bit of trepidation and nervousness still in there because, um, like we were saying, Oberyn doesn't have any reason to help Tyrion, per se. He's doing it for a selfish reason, which is the really the sad part of this as well. Because when it comes down to it, and he has the mountain down on the ground. All he wants, he doesn't like Tyrion. Saving Tyrion becomes secondary, and all he wants in that moment is a confession and to get what he wants out of the mountain. And he takes the moment away from being about saving Tyrion, and it becomes about his own mission, you know. And that one misstep, that one angle that Bronn wouldn't have had. Bronn would have been focusing on you know, the fight, but Oberyn's distracted because it's personal, you know? And so that, that one misstep results in Oberyn's death and the condemning of Tyrion to death as well. And, uh, you know, what, what started as such a beautiful moment, it was seemingly like selfless act ends up being squandered and sabotaged by ego and selfishness. And uh, it's it's a major betrayal for Tyrion. Sadly. Absolutely. It really is. Yeah. All he had to do was just fucking kill him or just not stand that close. But he, he just, like, it became about himself. And uh, He just got too wrapped up in the emotion. Mm -hmm. And, did, I mean... He was so close, like, yeah. but he wanted, he wanted the confession more than he wanted the kill. Yeah. And we don't want to jump the gun on this. We'll talk more about that next week, but <laughs> yes, but it's just so brutal, man. Like there's so much potential and it's all squandered by a misstep. So anything else you want to add about this, uh, this Oberyn scene? No, I think it's a great one though. It's great acting on both their parts. I love. I just love when he tells Tyrion that story of like they unveiled the freak and yep. he just like look down and it's like that's not a monster it's, it's just a baby. Yeah. Like, so you're, you're just another it was just another human being. 
Yeah. He's like, sure, like like your head was a little bit larger, your arms were a little bit smaller, but there was like nothing wrong with you at all. And I liked that sentiment to to Tyrion after his outburst in the trial room about being on trial for being a dwarf. Mm -hmm. You know, Oberyn brought to light in this scene, like you're you're a human being. Right. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, and I I loved that closure on that um, kind of sentiment of yeah. being on trial for being a dwarf. I thought that was really nice closure in the you know the series. I agree. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, so it was just nice to hear that come out. You know, especially for you know Tyrion that you're still just a person. Yeah, you may be a dwarf. You may be smaller than all of us, but you are a person and there's nothing wrong with you. Right. Yeah, totally. It's a very Dornish perspective. You know, they seem to be very, very much more tolerant of, uh, of things down in Dorn, whether it's uh, homosexuality or, um, um, being a bastard or, you know, absolutely having a paramour or being a dwarf or sleeping around or, you know, being promiscuous. Yeah, so it was just, I liked that sentiment after last week's episode Yeah, and to I think kind we of can close that storyline. Definitely. And I think we can all admire the, Dorn- the Dornish for their uh, their attitudes about things. <laughs> um, absolutely. Definitely. All um, right. Yeah. So what's your number one? I think, uh, what, was, what about your number two? Because that was my number two. Oh, was it? My number two was, was the, the champion. Same? Okay, cool. So, <laughs> my number one is Winter Hell Revisited. And I'm. Is this hot pie? Yeah, of course, referring to <laughs> hot pie. <laughs> hot pie as he charges into battle. Oh, man. I love hot pie. Hot kidney pie. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's great to see hot pie. I, I had forgotten about this. Um, Brienne and Potter chilling at an inn. And uh, Brienne's like, bit of comfort never hurt anyone. We've been sleeping in ditches the past few weeks. I think we can treat ourselves to a feather bed for the night and a hot meal not cooked by you. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, my lady, Pod says. He's like, please don't make me skin another rabbit. Yeah, and she's like, just don't start expecting silk underclothes, young man. Squire. You know? <laughs> so then uh, he's t- Pod's like getting a little little bit too intense with the drink <laughs> he's like relaxing a little too much don't get drunk no no my lady uh so somebody says can i get you anything else no this will do nicely thank you the kidney pie is wonderful and then we see it's hot pie and and hot pie never misses an opportunity to talk about his food creations so <laughs> upon hearing the compliment thanks i do my best and slides over a chair sits down a good kidney pie is all about the ingredients flour lard water you know he's just talkative talkative talk 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 and you can see the look on brienne's face as she's getting aggravated by this rambling stranger it's hilarious so uh he's just rambling on and on about the gravy and how you you know you (laughs) you can't give up on the gravy and everything And, and that's when he asks her uh you know that's nice armor are you a knight and uh, she's like, no. And this is hilarious because it's like a double entendre joke. 
It's simultaneously referencing her frustration with Pod having called her a knight repeatedly, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's also hearkening back to, <laughs> to Hot Pie's assertion that he knew those people were knights because they were wearing armor back in season one or two or whatever it is. Well, how'd you know they were knights? They were wearing armor, you know, and Gendry's like, any fucking idiot can get armor. And Hot Pie's like, oh, yeah, how do you know that? I sold armor, dude. They come back, I say we yield. Gendry's the one they want. I want to get caught in the middle of a battle. I ain't afraid of no battles. If you got within a mile of a battle, you'd fill your pants. I've seen lots of battles. I saw... Liar. I saw a man kill another man just outside a tavern in Flea Bottom. Stabbed him right in the neck. Two men fighting isn't a battle. They had armor on. So? So, if they got armor on, it's a battle. No, it isn't. What does a die's apprentice know about battles anyway? Gendry's an armor's apprentice. Hot pie, how Gendry makes a bite into a battle. It's, um, when they've got armor on. I didn't told you that. A knight? How'd you know he was a knight? Well, because he's got armor on. You don't have to be a knight to have armor. Any idiot can buy armor. How do you know? Because I sold armor. <laughs> so uh, it's like referencing that that scene with Hot Pie and his obsession with knights and armor, which is funny, man. Um, so he 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 brings it up again by saying, "Oh, it's it's just." People with armor are usually knights, you know, generally speaking. <laughs> so he's got to like bring it up again, and uh, so he realizes that they're from King's Landing, and he's just talking, talking, talking. And Brienne basically is like, "Oh, like we're trying to find a girl." Like he's like, "Oh, what are you doing up here?" And she's like, "Trying to find a girl. Her name's Sansa Stark, but she may be using a different name." And uh, Hot Pie is like so caught off guard by this. And he's like, what, like them lot from Winterhell? <laughs> and this is another great callback to the hot pie scene where he, he was talking with Arya and he had called Winterfell Winterhell. You remember that? Yes, and I love that. And she's like, are it's not Winterfell. Winterhell? <laughs> it's Winterfell. And he's like, how do you, are you sure about that? And she's like, yes, I fucking grew up yes, there, Yes, I'm dude. from there. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, uh, what, like that lot from Winterhell? And uh, no, no, I ain't saying anyone like that, you know, and he's went from being completely like overly talkative and friendly to just shutting the hell up and standing up and like pushing in the chair in the middle of his explanation of saying no. And and it's just like it's so obvious. It's like suspiciously quick that he becomes silent, you know. And, and kind of just like scurries off too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brienne may be a descendant, I mean, is a descendant of Sir Duncan the Tall, but she's not quite as thick as a castle wall in in this in this situation. <laughs> she's not known for being the sharpest tool in the shed, Brienne. She's kind of dense, you know. People have this. She has a reputation, but here she's quick enough to realize that this is suspicious <laughs> for him to just shut up like that. You know, yes. he's, I, I heard they were all traitors. He said, don't need no traitors in here. <laughs> um, yeah. So she is like, she tries to reassure Hot Pie that she means no harm to the Stark girl. Um, and she's like, well, I pledged my life to their mother, Catelyn Stark. I swore to her I'd bring her daughters home. And uh, he changes the subject. Sure, I can't get you a bit more of that kidney pie, you know, and just scurries off. 
so then they're outside and it's uh, she's talking with pod and pod's like you know you i don't want to offend but we probably shouldn't be telling people that we're hunting for lady sansa because the lannisters for her oh yeah searching (laughs) searching for (laughs) searching for lady sansa yeah yeah probably better choice of words there that was so funny. We're hunting <laughs> I loved it. it. Hunting her. We're hunting Sodom's and Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it, people may think, you know, the, <laughs> or that's what see, exactly. hot pies seem to think. So, but um, yeah, Pod's like, you know, the Lannisters want Sansa, and the Lannisters have money, and people kill for money. So if they think that we're working for the Lannisters, and and uh, or they think that they could get information to help them find Sansa from us, like that, we could be in danger. We don't want that to happen. And right at that moment, that's when uh, Hot Pie comes walking out with uh, another direwolf cake wrapped in a in a rag. My lord, could I have a word? What about not kidney pie, Brianna? <laughs> no, and, not uh, kidney pie. Yeah, so she she turns out that her attempt to reassure Hot Pie worked because she's made a good impression on him. He says to her, you seem like a proper lady, someone who could be trusted. <laughs> Great line. And he's, Hot Pie is such an innocent little dude, you know what I mean? It's just so funny. Like, you seem like a proper lady, someone who could be trusted. And, and <laughs> the hound would be like, no, no one can be trusted, you know? <laughs> Type yes. thing. Like, he's so innocent and, like, trusting. And he's like, I never met no Sansa Stark, but I know her sister, Arya. And it, actually, but I know her sister, Arya, he like sort of pauses before saying Arya, because he was so used to calling her Ari, you know, Ari yeah. the orphan. <laughs> so he's like had to make sure he was getting it right here before he actually said her name out loud. Pretty classic moment. So uh, Bran's like, no one's seen Arya since her father was beheaded. She's presumed dead. She weren't when I last spoke to her. <laughs> and he he divulges, you know, she was heading up north to the Night's Watch. He gives away so much information here. She was dressed up as a boy, like your ladyship, only without the armor, going by the name Ari. So what happened to her? Well, the quick version, because he's a fucking rambler. <laughs> Brienne is so funny. <laughs> like, yeah. getting to the, get, you know, cutting him down, like, making him get to the point. The Lannisters took us a prisoner. We escaped. The Brotherhood took us prisoner. We escaped. They sold me to the innkeep. They were going to sell Arya to her mother at River Run, along with another prisoner. Big, ugly fellow. Foul mouth and a face like a half-burnt ham. Not friendly. And that the, ha- um, the pod, hound. pod knows immediately. The hound, you know. That's the one. And it's <laughs> the way Hot Pie said that. It seems like he has no idea who the hound is and how fucking dangerous he is. Yeah. You know, he's just completely clueless and innocent and naive. If you find her, could you give her this? She liked the last one I gave her, but, well, this one turned out better. Remember, it didn't really look very much like a dire wolf, the She's last like, one. that's the tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, also, it turns out that the actor, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, uh, the, the actor who plays Hot Pie ended up opening a bakery in London, I believe, where he sells oh, really? these dire wolf breads. Yeah, he sells these things. I want one. Yeah, check it out if you guys can support this guy he seems like a cool dude and he he's enthusiastic about his food in real life too which he's, did he name his great. bakery hot pie bakery it's something like that it's i i really okay. think it's something like that i can't remember exactly but because that would be really cool yeah totally <laughs> so uh 
they lead, Hot Pie walks off after showing them the dire wolf bread, which looks really good. And Brienne takes a moment of joy, rubbing it in to Pod that she was right to mention Sansa's name here. And she, um, you were saying, Pod, you know, <laughs> about how we shouldn't say Sansa's name. And uh, it's funny because, you know, although Brienne was, she got lucky in this case, Pod is generally right. Like, they shouldn't be openly speaking about this. <laughs> and they, I think That's they are true. more veiled about it in the future. But uh, Pod has a, another moment of brilliance here, um, reaffirming Brienne's decision to take him on as a squire. You know, she wasn't giving him any credit. Then he, she found out he killed the Kingsguard, and she realized, oh, maybe he's got some potential, and she gives him a chance. That's when she her shell cracks, um, and he gets to, you know, he, he breaks through her, her uh, emotional armor, basically. So here, he proves that he's he's got value. And talking about Sansa, he says, her mother's dead, her grandfather's dead, Walder Frey is the new lord of River Run. The Brotherhood isn't going to River Run. Um, they'll take her to the Eyrie, my lady. And he's she's like, why the Eyrie, you know? Yeah, he knows he knows that her aunt is there, which right. I thought was crazy. Yeah, he's like smart. How he's a smart... And I guess we do see a little bit of this with Pod in earlier episodes when he is reciting the banners of Dorn. Yeah, doing his heraldry. Yeah, so he, he's aware. When uh, when Oberyn arrives, actually. It's, yeah, it's when Oberyn arrives. He, uh, That's right. Tyrion's yeah. asking him, and what do you see, Pod? He's listing off the sigils and the names of the Dornish houses, and even Bronn is impressed with the, his knowledge of the Dornish houses and sigils. So yeah, he says here that uh, Lord Tyrion made sure I knew which house married which and who hated who. And so uh, he was able to deduce the exact place where Arya is heading. Uh, Pod is, he's good in bed and good at logic. Didn't he make a, a note too saying like um, Sansa might be headed there as well? Brienne does. So Brienne, oh, Brienne, yeah, does. Brienne okay, is right. also super on point here. And she's like, oh, then Sansa could be there too. Yeah. So uh, they're both like, the wheels are turning with these two. They're headed in the right direction. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, that pretty much wraps up that scene, but it's just great to see Hot Pie back in action, you know, <laughs> after after a while. When was the last time you saw him? It's been at least, you know, a season or so. We saw him, oh, when did we see him I mean, last? last time we saw him was when... Uh, when he decided to He's, stay behind to, to be a chef. Yes, yes. When Arya got the wolf bread. Right. And she turns back and goes, it's really good. And he was standing there looking like a little nerd. And he right. looks so cute standing there, like smiling and waving. Yeah, like, yeah that's great. Hi, have a good trip. <laughs> Such a funny little guy, man. Hot pie is great. So, yeah, cool seeing him again. What about your number one? So my number one is the kiss of death. Shit. Which is obviously when oh Baelish kissing Sansa plants a big fat one on Sansa. So I I do like this whole scene. Um, you know, and we can go into this. Like we see, we first initially see Sansa. She sees snow for the first time in a really long time, and 
the stark music starts to play and I get goosebumps every time I hear it. So, and then you feel that nostalgia, like she's remembering being out in the cold and yeah, she's really just like gazing around at the snow as the snow falls down in this beautiful courtyard. Yeah. And it's, you know, for a, brief moment we see like a twinge of happiness on her face yeah, like and a remember whimsy or something yeah just like good nostalgia mm-hmm. remembering the good times and yep then we cue little robin <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, this is what he, i was talking about with my 10 year old breastfeeders joke at the beginning yes <laughs> of yes the, the little boob um <laughs> Who did I dub? Oh, uh, Maze Tyrell is the big boob. <laughs> and Tom is the little boob Love in this it. show. Um, Perfect. But, you know, cue, cue Robin. And he comes, you know, prancing in and starts, you know, reciting all the bullshit that he's just been kind of brainwashed. You know, I'm the Lord of the Veil. And the Lord of the Veil is a very important person. And Sansa's like, yes, yes that, you yeah, are. you are like, okay, whatever. I was just enjoying myself and you come in to kind of literally ruin it. And, you know, he's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm building my home. I haven't been there in some time. I don't even know if I'll ever see it again. And he goes, does Winterfell have Winterfell have a moon door? Yeah. He's, he's so like, fucking no, it's sheltered, down on the man. ground. You know, like, why, what do you do with the, like, the bad people? She's do like, we don't fly? do anything with them. <laughs> Yeah. We don't do anything with them. <laughs> and just, just his attitude here, like the people, the bad people, the scary people, the people you don't like. That's such like a tyrannical, paranoia. authoritarian yes. approach. Like just get rid of the people you don't like, you know, that's fucked well, up. And it's also the paranoia of Lysa. You can absolutely yeah. see it in, in her son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's with- implanted it into him. And it's different paranoia. It's not her same paranoia of like who Lord Baelish is, you know, hooking up with. But you, that same kind of manic, like, oh, there's all these bad people and we're going to like make the bad people fly. And yeah. Her other paranoia is safe. like protecting sweet Robin. You know, you know like she, that's another one of her like paranoid obsessions. And that one is, yeah, that's the one that's transferred onto Robin for sure. For sure. So. Um, you know, and I love, I loved the sentiment, like, well, when we get married, we can just basically kill whoever we want together. We can just throw everyone through the moon door. And I'm thinking that is fucking terrifying. And Sansa's like, I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I think she's just kind of being diplomatic here. Yeah, and being yeah, yeah, yeah. to him because he is the Lord of the Vale and Sansa's very diplomatic and, you know, mm. she knows how to talk to people that she doesn't really want to talk to. So I, I felt that like twinge of that come kind of back into her. It's like her defense mechanism. Right. And then, you know, he's like, well, let's put a moon door here. And he like knocks her tower over and she's like, well, you've ruined it <sighs> you've now. Ruined it. To... He's like, well, it was never right the first in the first place because it didn't have a fucking moon door. And I then he like throws <laughs> the freaking tantrum and like kicks it all down. Yeah. And I love Sansa. She's just like. Hip slap so you know and she's like oh shit i probably shouldn't have done that like robin i'm sorry he runs and off. he runs out so funny the way he runs off it reminds me of something I, but I can't remember like napoleon dynamite or something like that 
You know? I was going to say, like, a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Napoleon uh. Dynamite is just that. So, um, so then, you know, Lord Baelish obviously sees this whole thing and, you know, she's like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't no. know what came over me. His mother should He's have like, done that a long time ago. Consider it a step in the right direction. Which is a true statement. Yeah, and as this... this yeah, this shot with Baelish walking through the courtyard, you get a, like another view of these little evergreen trees in the background, and it's just gorgeous. It's like, really beautiful. Really, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say courtyard. that. The, the set is just amazing mm-hmm. with the, the stone staircases. Where, and so I actually, while I was paying attention to um, Baelish and Sansa, I was trying to look through that whole kind of dialogue to see if, Lysa was looming if they ever panned the camera up far enough to see that landing up there they never did and they never do yeah, yes i was looking too <laughs> we don't know as a viewer how long she was standing there mm-hmm. she could have been standing there through that whole scene of her of sansa like hitting her son too yeah baelish really could have know. seen her standing there before walking out for all we know i think baelish absolutely knew yeah i remember you saying that last week I do. Just the way, I don't know. Baelish seizes opportunities and it's pretty bold of him to kiss Sansa at this point in where we are at in the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, Sansa keeps going on, you know, like I'll probably never go back to Winterfell. And I really liked his his quote a lot can happen between now and And never never. yeah really cool line right yeah and it's kind of symbolic of their relationship because he wants something to happen with her and it's a very i think it's a very interesting dynamic with lord baelish with sansa because she's catelyn's daughter She's he even says it in this scene. You're you know, you're more beautiful than she ever was. Which is gorgeous girl, which is super creepy after like a minute earlier, having said, um, in a you could have been my child. Yeah. One where love could overcome strength and duty. You may have been my child. This is what I'm getting at, because his his love for her is complex. He looks at her as a daughter. He looks at her as a the love daughter interest. of a love interest and a, a nostalgic aspect of the only woman he's ever yeah, loved. Almost like a second chance, you know, since like he couldn't get Kat when she was that age. Like yes. Sansa, maybe he can pull one over on her and get her. And it would almost be like a fuck you to Kat being like, ha I got your daughter when I could never get you. You know, there's a, probably exactly. like a whole bunch of different like crazy emotions in this. Sure. It's very complex what his feelings are. And I, you know, to to Lord Baelish's defense in a way, maybe kissing her, he was trying to figure out and make sense of those feelings. Yeah, like, maybe. I look at you as a child and a possible, like, in a better world, you could have been my daughter. Mm-hmm. But I am also attracted to you because you look like your mother. Right. You're way more beautiful than your mother. So I'm kind of attracted to you just as your own physical person. Right. So I'm just going to kiss you just to see 
what does that bring about as far as what do I feel afterwards? Interesting. Um, I want to mention quickly while we're talking about this, um, the, his line, in a better world where love, one where love could overcome strength and duty, you might have been my child. There's a couple coded references in here. Um, when he's talking about love overcoming strength, he's referring specifically to the duel that he fought against Brandon Stark Brandon. over yep. the love, his love for Catelyn, and he was overcome by Brendan's Brandon's strength. So in a part in a better world, his love would have overcome Brandon's strength, and the other part, duty. He wishes love could overcome duty. The Tully words. Family, duty, honor. Duty, honor. Right. Yep. So, Catelyn, her, her, you know, she, if love, love had overcome her duty, maybe she would have run off with, with Peter. But no, she's bred to be dutiful, you know, so she stayed with her duty and her commitment to her betrothed. And so he's slyly referencing these little things. Like he's he's really saying a lot, you know, like these are carefully chosen words. He's not just saying random stuff here. Like these are things that he's been considering for a long time. You know what I mean? And I think that's very true to Lord Baelish's character on the show as a whole. Um, he's very particular with the words that he chooses. He's very particular about what he says and who he says it to, which is clearly why he's gotten as far as he has in this world. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, he, yep. he steps in and he starts his creepy Baelish whispering, you know, I loved your mother more than you could ever know. Right. That's important. And, you know, I think Baelish really has always loved Kat and true love, like loved her, loved her. And it just didn't work out between them. And Sansa starts getting uncomfortable here because he's advancing on her. He's very close. They're close proximity to each other. So she tries changing the subject. She goes, why did you kill Joffrey? Mm -hmm. That's when he says, I loved your mother more than you could ever know. Oh, really? I thought yeah. that was before. Yeah, oh, I she must says, have... uh, why did you kill? Why did you really kill Joffrey? Tell me why. He, she sort of ends up liking his answer. It's like the perfect answer he could have given to Sansa. I loved your mother more than you could ever know. Given the opportunity, what do we do to those who've hurt the ones we love? You know, and she's like, oh, like, like Joffrey yep. had, you know, arranged the Red Wedding. And All of them got, killed. Yeah. Got my family killed. So Peter killed Joffrey as revenge for the Red Wedding. At least he's telling her that. It's probably just a manipulation, you know, but it's exactly sure. the right manipulation for Sansa because she sort of smiles. She like one one corner of her mouth like 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 creaks back and she does like a one sided like smirking smile. And then the camera pant like uh, cuts to Baelish and he does the same exact smile. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, ah, it worked. You know, and that's uh, when he he mentions the the better world where he, she could have been his child, and then he goes to uh, you know, but we don't live in that world, and it transitions to the creepiness. You're more beautiful than she ever was, Lord Baelish. Call me Peter. <laughs> and then she and kisses. You know he kisses her. 
But she actually like lingers there for a minute. Like yeah, she kind of yeah. goes into it too, which I found very interesting. Like she doesn't, you know, when when she says to Liza, like, well, he kissed me and I pulled away. I'm like, girl, that was yeah, like you didn't really pull away. Way delayed. If yeah. you were pulling away. You closed your eyes and went in for that. And she might have been like wrapped up in the fact that he basically just said that he got revenge for the murder of her family or something. Like maybe there was like a moment. Yeah, and I think where... there's a little bit of like I don't know. Deer in the headlights. Or, yeah, like it's a natural instinct, and then she's kind of like realizing what happens because she does pull away and she's like, "Whoa." Like, what has happened? Right. There's a, you know, people say there's like the fight or flight reflexes. Sure. Now there's a third one recognized, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Um, And it's entirely possible that she panicked and just froze for a couple seconds. I'm a freezer, for sure. (laughs) I'm a refrigerator. In like serious situations, I like you. I usually freeze and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I usually run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's what happens with deer. They freeze in the headlights and then they run. So yeah, Then they run, yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> you should your name Rachel Deer. That's what you should be. Not Rachel Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, because <laughs> I don't know. Foxes are kind of sly and they stop and look around. They, they've. Figure out their surroundings. Yeah. I love foxes. Me too. Especially my husband. Yeah. (laughs) So then we cue what I kind of dubbed the suicide scene. Right. Oh, well, first the the camera pans out and that's when we see Liza. Oh, that's right. We totally forgot the best part. Liza. She's looking down and all of her paranoia was validated in that one moment. Yep. Like all. Yep, Which is yep. not good. I mean, she was really not good speculating. And at the time, Sansa was telling the truth. No, like nothing has ever happened between me and Peter. And I'm a virgin. Right. And then. I'm know, a virgin. I swear it. I swear <laughs> it. You know, so for a crazy person to have their paranoia validated probably sent her reeling which clearly it did oh yeah big time you know and you know she's like you summoned me aunt liza and she's like sansa and she walks into the room with the moon door open already liza's just looking looking through it yeah and do you know how far the fall is and sansa's like not a clue you know and she goes into what it's like to watch people fall through before, it. Before that, though, her, uh, her response is hilarious. Neither do I, precisely, you know. And it's just like, they throw people through this moon door all the time. They do all this. But they don't even, like, care enough to even know, like, exactly how much the fall is. You know, <laughs> like, there's just something funny feet, about maybe? that line to me. What? Hundreds of feet, maybe, yeah, I think yeah, she yeah. says. Hundreds of feet, for sure, hundreds, but not sure exactly how many. Yeah, so, you know, she talks about, like, how the bodies fall and break apart and, you know, but at the same time, sometimes, like, pieces still stick, you know, stay fully intact, like, a head sitting on its own, every hair in place, blue eyes staring at nothing. So creepy. And I thought it was very interesting that she used blue blue eyes. 
Right. Because the White Walker's eyes are blue. And, you know, I it just... They're sort of like zombies inju- just staring into, like, empty space kind of at yes. times. You know? Yes. So, I, I, I mean, instead of just saying eyes staring into nothing, she decided to choose blue eyes, mm-hmm. which was, you know, interesting in itself. But, you know, she's like, I know what you did. I'm so sorry, Aunt Lysa. I should have never hit Robin. I know it. Yes, and, you know, obviously Lysa starts losing it here. Don't be coy with me, you little whore. I saw you kiss him. You kissed Peter. (laughs) Yeah, you know, she's like, my father, my husband, my sister, they all stood between Peter and us, and now they're all dead. And I loved that line because she, she, she in this scene tells Sansa, like, my husband stood between Peter and I and he's dead. And I mean, Sansa's about ready to like fly through the moon door. So I'm sure she's not like picking up on that, you know. Not at the moment, at least. Is, yeah, divulging that she killed her husband. And... Then we hear Lysa. Yeah, and she's let like, her go. she's not just berating her at this moment. She's like holding her over the moon door, like screaming look at her. Down, like, look down, look down, look yeah, down. Yeah. And Sansa's <laughs> freaking out. Lysa, let her go. And you know what this made me think of? A very poor choice of words, Batman. Oh, God. <laughs> of course it did. He's, he's dangling, uh, you know, Harvey's, Harvey's squeeze, you know, over the edge. Let yeah. her go. Poor choice of words. <laughs> Drops her down. Yeah. Oh, yes. Let her go. Very poor choice of words. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Let her go. Yeah. You want her? This empty-headed child? She'll never love you. Yeah, she's just like her mother. She'll never love you. And this is the most serious we've seen Peter Baelish. He's standing there in front of this open door. His head is angled forward. His eyes are fixed. His mouth is tight. This is the most serious we have seen him throughout this he's whole tense. show. This is the like a moment of truth not, for him. He's not in control. Yeah. He's not in control in this situation. He is trying to figure out very quickly on the fly how to manipulate the situation to save Sansa and honestly probably take advantage of the situation. Like he's calculating right. how this can work to his advantage because that's how Lord Baelish thinks. Why did you bring her here? Why? <laughs> I'll send her away. <laughs> I swear to all the gods. She'll never love you. Let her go, Liza. <laughs> oh, my sweet wife. My sweet, silly wife, you know. I've only ever loved one woman. I think before that, though, she goes, I lied for you. Right, I yeah. killed for I you. I killed for you, yeah. And so, again, she's in front of Sansa. So this made me think, because we know we talked in a previous episode about when Sansa sentences Baelish to death that she brings up John Aaron. And we assume that, Bran tells her and I still kind of believe that but maybe when Bran told her she thought back to this moment 
of what Liza was actually saying. Yeah, maybe. And she kind of put, like, you're right. Like, Bran's not just saying this. She said, you know, yeah, my, my husband, husband died because they got between Peter and me. And I lied for you. you. I killed yeah. for you. So yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Good and, catch. I like that. You know, I'm sure Bran, I'm not discrediting, I'm sure Bran was the one that told her that, but when it's, he was telling her... It would have been her, at least be confirmation of what she yes. already had suspected or known. And it, it puts it into context, like, because Sansa's probably at, in this moment, like, freaking out. She's about ready to get thrown through the moon door. Yeah. But she's also still cognitively listening, likely, um, and hearing what they're talking about, so... Right. So then when Bran says it, you know, if if Bran brought it up, she'd be like, oh, it makes sense because I heard her say this. And that would give her more reason to believe Bran's like crazy, like, like space time traveling knowledge. You know, if he For says sure. shit that she knows is true and nobody else on the planet knows, but Bran knows, like that's going to give her confidence in his capabilities. Yes. So then, you know, we have the most epic line I think Baelish has really ever said on this series. And it's, I have only loved one woman, only, only one. one, my entire life, your sister. And then boom. Yep. And her face when she's saying that, when he's saying that, I've only loved one woman. She's like, she's oh, like yes. ah. And you hear like, she's like, her head's leaning back and she's got this like, like like drugged out smile where she's like you can see the like uh euphoric yeah like this euphoric look like ah it's all she wanted to hear like she just shot up a big shot of morphine or something and yeah she's so relieved and just like feeling better again and her sister and that's her face just like (gasps) you know (laughs) contorts and just the quick two-handed shove Oh man. <laughs> that's when the thug life glasses come down. Dun, 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 and, dun, dun. She, yeah, and she's just like <laughs> screaming as she plummets to her death, eerily foreshadowed by her own description of bodies dropping from that massive height just minutes, just seconds beforehand. You know? And yes. her, the way that her, uh, her, gown is like flapping in the wind as she falls will like haunt haunt me forever you know what i mean for sure it's intense yeah it's it's awesome so good and it's funny too like if you watch really closely he pushes her and she falls back and then it cuts back to baelish looking down as she falls and then it cuts back to her falling and that the reason they put that cut there is because the angle that she falls at if they had done it in one cut, it would have been too obvious that she didn't fall straight down the hole. She would oh, have like, how funny. she would have like yeah. nailed her head on that cylinder, cylindrical drop zone. There's like probably 10 feet of, of stone cylinder before it drops into nothing. And the momentum of Peter's push knocking her over, she would have like bounced off of it bounced and, off. and tumbled down, but they wanted the aesthetic of her falling perfectly straight with like the, the dress flapping in the air and everything, looking up, reaching up as she's falling. No! Not dying from reaching. impact on the side. Of yeah, the yeah. Tube. reaching for for Peter, her last hope. Like Tyrion was reaching for Bronn, you know. 
And so it's just too good of an aesthetic to be ruined by her bouncing off of the, uh, For sure. the wall yeah. there, you know. So a clever cut to cover up laws of physics that were would have been otherwise broken, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, awesome. it's great. So yeah, that's one of the all-time greatest moments of this show for sure fucking legendary and we we actually see that peter is capable of killing someone yeah true getting his hands dirty personally oh and there's personally. another uh, another thing about this scene too when he says i've only loved one woman only one my entire life it cuts to sansa and her reaction to this and she has she knows. this she has this like i'm not sure if she knows yet, but she has like this disturbed look on her face when she hears that because he had just been telling her how much he loved her mother. And now he seems to be telling Lysa that he loves her and he's only ever loved her, you know, because she like, but she Sansa has a disturbed look. I'm, I'm not sure if she's disturbed because she thinks that Peter is just saying whatever he needs to say for any given moment, or if she's disturbed because she knows that he's lying to Lysa. Either way, Sansa is highly disturbed is in this moment. That Peter is lying to Lysa, and I think she has a feeling of what's about to happen. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and then yeah, it's that such a great scene. So good. I love like all of the scenes with the moon door leading up to this moment. Oh man, the moon door is just one of the coolest features of any castle in this series. If I lived in a castle, I would want a moon door. <laughs> totally. Totally. Throw paper airplanes through it instead of like real people. Glass doves, you know, yeah, whatever. Watermelons. <laughs> like what Robin throws Peter's I think he gave him a glass dove or glass falcon yeah, or something. Some little that, toy, yeah. Throws it through. Hilarious. Yeah, so that's kind of all the notes that I have for my number one. All right. So let's uh, jump into our uh, like other notes. The only other note that I have is Lord Snow. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's a good scene. Yeah, so Jon Snow gets back from the wall, or I'm... Um, back from Craster's Keep, back to, um, oh my God, Castle Black. <laughs> Sorry. <I was laughs> like, where, where is he? Um, and he, he has Ghost with him. And of course, Sir Alistair is, you know, Lord Snow. This is <laughs> no place for wild beasts. You know, lock him up. Or I'll let and, Hob throw him in tonight's stew. Oh, yeah, he does say that. I forgot oh, about that. Oh, that's so fucked up. Fuck Alistair. And so, you know, I love the way John just kind of, like, walks back. I mean, I mean, before that, he does explain kind of what happened. And, um, you know, and then he turns to Ghost. He's like, come on, Ghost. And Ghost just kind of, like, pads along, like, where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sort of like sideways. It's, he's moving at like a bizarre angle, which kind of adds some character to the animal, which is, is yeah. cool. I love that. The, all these direwolves, they're great. So both my lab growing up and my Australian shepherd now, um, when they were younger, to when they would like go for long walks, they would walk kind of sideways. Uh, 
Yeah, it's, and it's I, definitely not uncommon. You know, like not crazy sideways, but they would like kind at of walk a slight low. angle like that. At a slight angle. Yeah. So it just it was very it was very good CGI to like kind of throw that in there because it was very dog like. Oh, no, no, no. You know. That's that's not CGI. That's a real animal. But they make them bigger. Right, right. But they don't like change any aspects of their movement except slightly slowing them down. They just Oh, okay. And increasing their size though because yep. he's big in that scene. Yeah, okay. They increase their size Got and then slow the motion to compensate for the increased size cuz well, it feels like goes a... to show you why it felt so real then because it was a real animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. So now we're back in kind of the mess hall and John is standing up saying, you know, like they are really close. The wildlings are really close. Yeah. And I think we need to seal the tunnel with rocks and ice. And they kind of laugh at this. Like, so we don't do our duties. And John's kind of like, why would we be out beyond the wall right now with man's radar with a hundred thousand men, like bearing down on us? Like yeah, even what duties Grand's do we like, have we to do North of the wall? Right. And even Gren's like, we can't defend the gate against a hundred thousand men. Like we've got to plug it. Yeah. So we should seal the tunnel and, you know, to Gren's point as well, like we can't defend the gate against a thousand men. Well, we can't defend the gate against like a couple giants. You know, oh, have you yeah, ever that seen was giants? So have you ever seen a giant, Sir Alistair? I have. <laughs> what does he say? Uh, he's he, they're talking about the 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 gate specifically, the door. And oh, they're four like, inches thick of cold-rolled yeah, steel. Yeah, they won't stop them. <laughs> it's no. fucking hardcore. Those giants are no joke. I think Sir Alistair is kind of listening to John here, but because his hatred for John is kind of blinding him in this moment to be rational and realize, like, John is right. But he goes, you know, like, what you know, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm a steward, you know, and he's like, and who's in charge of the, of the tunnel. And he's like, the builders, you know, Ah, the builders. Yeah. Yeah. So do you agree? No, I don't agree that we should seal the tunnel. First builder Yarwick. Lord Snow recommends sealing the tunnel. And then of course, to punish John for an actually like strategic, tactic that could have saved way more lives than the way they did it yeah is you know he gave them night duty at the top of the wall for the until the first full moon Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's funny too and john starts like walking towards the front like he's gonna try to fight alistair and uh sam grabs his hand and pulls him back and they make eye contact for a second and there's one of two things that Sam could be saying with his eyes in this moment. He could either be saying, like, it's not worth fighting, Alistair. Or he could be saying, it's okay, John. We'll keep each other warm. <laughs> their, little, their little bromance that they've got A going on. Hanging out at the top of the wall in the middle of the night. Um, when when Yarwick re- like says no, that he doesn't agree with Jon Snow, after he says no, there's a brief moment where he, like, his eyes sort of like glance downward as if he's like either ashamed or not happy with his choice of having said no. And it's like a sort of hint that he may have felt a little coerced. 
and I think Alistair, aside uh, like a lot uh, as well as his like just wanting to be a contrarian against John because of his hatred for Jon Snow, I think he also just doesn't want John to have the right answer, which which would um, like if 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 John gets to make the decisions, there it's a power play, right? You know, like like they were saying in Janice's slints one moment of like coherence he said that you know there's a chance that the night's watch may end up being led by john you know he's got friends yep. people are following him um alicer wants to prevent that by any means necessary basically so if john has an idea for something to do he's going to he's not going to let it happen just so that john doesn't win a battle and look like a leader so he's just, he has to be a contrarian. Absolutely. And, you know, the, 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 you know, the builder, what, what's his name again? Sorry, you said it and I just totally forgot. Uh, Yarwick. It's his last name. Yarwick. I can't remember. It's like Othel Yarwick or something. I can't remember. Hmm? Yeah. I, I think he is also bound just because he also doesn't want to stir the pot with Alistair. Right. Thorn. Totally, you know, yeah. it's like. There's clearly a battle of power going on here. I'm I like my position as right. <laughs> leader of the builders. I I'm just I'm not gonna stir the pot. I'm just gonna agree with Alistair. I'm happy sitting up here at the high table and I'm just gonna go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um you know how in the courtroom if like a lawyer asks a question in a way that is designed to force the or like make the uh the person who's being questioned answer in a certain way the judge can can say like um like no 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 leading the witness that's you can't you know, can't ask questions like that you know yes in, in this circumstance uh the question the way that alistair phrases it first build a yardwick yarwick Lord Snow here recommends sealing the tunnel, leaving us unable to carry out our duties as sworn brothers of the Night's Watch. Do you agree with him? He's basically like saying, no, you can't possibly agree because we're not going to be able to carry out our duties. Another perspective would be that your duty is to protect the realms of men and your duty would be to seal the tunnel. So he's in injecting his own opinion in the question to manipulate the answer, which is totally leading the witness, you know, in this, exactly. in this situation, which <laughs> totally. is hilarious. Yes, that's so true. So then uh, the the scene pretty much ends at that point, right? With uh, saying, first builder, we need 100 barrels of pitch brought atop the wall. Yes. So that's actually all the notes that I have for this episode. All right. Let's see if I have anything else. Got to scroll through here real quick. Oh, there's one funny moment I forgot to mention when we get to the scene with Melisandre in the bathtub. <laughs> it cut from butt cheeks to boobs, basically. <laughs> man man butt to boobs. It was like, sorry guys for making you look at this man butt. Here's some boobs. That's so funny. It's like uh, the Dario's butt is right in the camera and then it cuts to yep. Solis opening the door and then cuts right back to <laughs> to Mel's boobs hanging out all over the place. Yes. It's just kind of a funny transition. We always you know, like to mention good, good transitions on the show. That's clever ones, true. you know, and this was just kind of a funny one that stuck out to me. Yes. And then we see Melisandre's butt later in that scene as well. Yeah. 
She has yeah. a rocking body. My word. For sure. I I have not historically like been attracted to uh, Melisandre, but this time watching it, I was kind of attracted to her. Yeah, I can't imagine why. I wonder what changed. She's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, something changed in my mind, apparently. Let's I mean, she's see. very different than Danny as far as her. Well, physique. I, I don't have like a type, you know. I like all all kinds of ladies, so. You just like boobs. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I just never really found her that attractive, but. Sure. This scene, this time, kind of changed. Let's see. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I don't know what exactly uh, caused it or anything, but yeah, actually, that's it for my notes too. That's uh, pretty much wraps that up. Awesome. All right, stank, stick, stank with us. Stick with us, and we'll be uh, right back, guys. <laughs> me on guitar and bass again on an unreleased recording that I made a number of years ago. Feel free to email us if you would like a copy for yourself. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. From backstage, Game of Thrones fans rejoice. Season 8 premiere date announced by Allegra Henderson. <laughs> Game of Thrones fans can rest easy. A premiere date has sorta been announced for the series' eighth and final season. In a promotional video, HBO shared the news that the epic will return to the cable network in April, though no exact date was specified. April 2019. And that's it for the news today. <laughs> so we'll jump into our Game of Thrones and history segment. Again, covering the remaining portion of the article from Bustle, the 10 most clever literary references in the Game of Thrones books by Charlotte Allen. First is R'hllor is not the first Lord of Light. The Red Priests worship the fire god R'hllor, known as the Lord of Light. But before Melisandre was trying to burn children alive, Roger Zelazny wrote a famous novel titled The Lord of Light. The similar name is probably not a coincidence, since Zelazny was friends with Martin, even collaborating with him on the series Wild Cards, which they just announced they're going to be making a series of, like a Netflix series or Amazon Prime series or something. Oh, I can't awesome. remember. I posted a link about it on our Facebook. Hulu, sorry. So check that out. Um, my best friend up in Canada, Sir Donland, uh, gave me one of the books. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. But back to the article. This fictional religion also draws influence from the very real religion of Zoroastrianism, which centers around two gods, one good and one evil, and venerates fire and the powers of resurrection. 
That's cool. I like that. Yeah, definitely. All right. The next section, Tyrion has demon eyes. Tyrion has one green eye and one black eye. So that answers our question earlier. Ah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Tyrion has one green eye and one black eye, just like the character Professor Woland from The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. Much like Tyrion, Woland is a seductive rogue who, despite being a demon, is far more honest than all of the wealthy bureaucratic mortals who surround him. Tyrion is no demon, despite what his sister thinks, but he does provide some much-needed fun and honesty to the corrupt courts of Westeros. Mm, interesting, the demon comparison, because there is yes. a whole essay about T Tyrion um, resembling Sun Wukong, the Chinese twisted monkey demon. Didn't we go over that in one of our previous episodes? Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. Pretty awesome stuff. Persephone might be the key to the weird seasons. In Greek mythology and classical literature, Persephone is a goddess of the spring. She's kidnapped by Hades, the god of death, and brought to be his queen in the land of the dead. In the end, it is decided that Persephone may spend half the year above ground, bringing sun and warmth, and half the year with Hades, causing winter to fall across the land. This myth is echoed in Prince Rhaegar kidnapping Lyanna Stark. Her disappearance brings about Robert's rebellion, and shortly after her death, Westeros sees one of the longest summers in living memory, before being engulfed by one of the most dangerous winters. And then, of course, there are all the references to Martin's other books. I mean, look, if you were a successful fantasy author, you'd reference your own books too. Bacalon one of the gods in the houses of black and white is a deity in Martin's story and seven times never kill a man. Lord Baylor, black tide ship Nightflyer is named after Martin's novella Nightflyers. Mm. The fever river in Westeros is a callback to Martin's novel fever dream and Will's quote in the prologue of game of thrones Dead Men Sing No Songs is a play on Martin's novella Songs the Dead Men Sing. Nice. Very and, uh, cool. Yeah, and Night Flyers is, has been announced as another TV series that's being adapted from N Martin's book, um, which is going to be on Sci-Fi, on the Sci-Fi channel. So Martin now has three shows based on books of his. Game of that's Thrones, awesome. Night Flyers, and Wild Cards. Now there's also going to be the prequel, about the Long Night, which is an offshoot from, you know, the, the Game of Thrones books. But yeah, three series based on his books. He's going to be rolling in dough, dump trucks of dough. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. You hear that? What was that? Oh, God, they're coming. <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Bronn certainly is moving up in the world. He started the series as a poor sellsword, to head of the city watch of King's Landing, to a knight as Sir Bronn of the Blackwater, and now he is marrying into a noble family. Does this mean he gets his own sigil? Does he take the Stokeworths? What would be a good emblem for Bronn, do you think? I'm partial to something like crossed swords over a dark water motif. 
Poor Lysa died as she lived, raving like a madwoman. And <laughs> you know that's right. <laughs> you know that's right. And in response to Game of Microphones episode 78, Sir Matthew writes, Varys's whole plan revolves around Tyrion being found guilty. Because we were speculating on why Varys would um, condemn Tyrion on the stand the way that he did. Yes. Adding extra details like how he may be a stark loyalist at this point, essentially. So uh, he says, Varys' whole plan revolves around Tyrion being found guilty. He doesn't want a strategic mind like Tyrion around for when the the ruler he backs, Danny in the show, arrives in Westeros. He always planned on shipping him to Essos. Plus, now he's in Varys' debt. Great points. Yeah, that's definitely yes. the case. Um, so going back to his question about Bronn, I think, so would he, so he's Sir Bronn of the Blackwater. Now he's marrying into a noble family. Would he end up having his own name? Like, would he create his own last name? Would he create a sigil with an emblem? What do you think would be a good sigil for Bronn? I like the crossed swords over a dark water. That's fucking cool. I like that too. Or even maybe a bow over a dark water because he, in the battle of the black water, he's the one that sends the flaming arrow. So mm. he's using a bow, but he's also a very accomplished sword fighter. So either one of those would be really cool emblems for sure okay how about this crossed swords with a stack of gold coins over a black field representing the black water yes <laughs> that's awesome because yeah, he's a sellsword you know he's all about yes his, he's fighting and and or golden swords maybe yeah <laughs> no that would that would be tier uh jamie well at least in the in the books he used a golden sword to kill the uh, the mad king Oh, oh, really? Okay. Mm, yeah. So that would be too, uh, too symbolic of another too person close in the story. Too close yeah. Yep. But yeah, throw some, throw some gold coins on there with the crossed swords, and I think we nailed it, Matthew. Yes. Sir Matthew, sorry. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Cersei chooses the mountain as her champion. He gets poisoned by Oberyn. During the whole season five... Kyburn figures out how to cure him. Then in the last episode of season five, he greets Cersei after her walk of punishment. And in season six, Cersei calls on the mountain to her champion to be her champion again to fight Sir Loras. But the trial by combat again is changed by Tommen when he is brainwashed by the High Sparrow. Mm. And the trial is changed to be a trial judged by the seven. Right. They outlaw the trial by combat. I forgot about yep. that. Yeah. We all know how that ended with the Sept of Baylor being demolished by Cersei. Then in season seven, the mountain is a part of her entourage. Lord Jason of House Robertson. Responding to our Game of Microphones 78 discussion of Jorah being a spy and my incorrect assertion that this was the first time we had heard of Jorah being a spy. I don't know what I was thinking. I think that was me, actually. Oh, really? I, I thought it was yes. me. Whatever. Yeah, if, if you think it's you, I'll, I'll let you take credit. I think it. it was. No, it's <laughs> total. Um, another one of me, our though. viewers. Really? I yeah. Okay. Well, we can both take the blame for this one, Duncan. <laughs> we're idiots, <laughs> Lord Jason. So thank you for writing in and uh, correcting us. And if we're wrong, yeah, definitely let us know because we yes, would please. like to correct like, the record. Absolutely. Definitely. 
So Lord Jason writes, Ned and Robert talk in the small council chamber that Jorah was a spy in season one or in the first season. And yes, that is true. We did find out then. And now that you mention it, I totally remember that. So thank you. Yeah, good call. Hope to hear from you again, Lord Jason. Thanks yes, for writing. Yes, we like, we like it. If we say something wrong or incorrect, we love to be corrected because we want to make sure that we get it right, too. Yeah. yeah. It's important. It's all about the truth and accuracy, for sure. Hello, Sir Duncan. This is Lady Caroline Collins with my Raven's Call for the episode Mockingbird. I wanted to make two little notes this week hopefully i'll try and keep it short um the first one was the uh constant returning to the con- the concept of nothing throughout the episode we hear it first with aria's quote which is uh kind of stuck with me the first time i heard it but it's definitely um more meaningful than i think it's it's passed off to be and she says nothing isn't better or worse than anything nothing is just nothing and I thought that was interesting because it it ties in with her becoming no one later on. But it's also what Jon Snow says when he comes back from um, from the dead. He says, you know, Melisandre asks him what he saw, and she was really interested in what what happens after death. And he says there was there was nothing. There was just nothing. Oh, brilliant! And Good connection in, in this world, we have to wonder if there is something after death. I think everybody always wonders that. And there's all these different religions with different ideas of what happens after death. But I think Martin kind of wants his world to be uh, sort of what Melisandre describes it as. This is, there's only one hell and we're living in it right now. And after that is just nothing. So, and we also, we hear it again right before um, Lady Liza dies. She says, there you'll find um, body parts spread around from being dropped out of the eerie and you'll find just a head sitting by itself. And she says, blue eyes staring at nothing. And that was really cool how it, it ties in with the, the blue eyes of the, of the whites and the white walkers. And also um, the fact that they're staring at nothing um, as in nothing happens after death. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thought. And uh, one little note when they said, uh, I think last last week, uh, somebody commented that the White Walkers have access to steel. And and um, Sir Alistair Thorne says that the gateway to the tunnel is forged with cold rolled steel. And I was like, how is that possible? Cold rolled steel. I watched Forged in Fire and I've never seen anybody successfully cold roll steel. So I'm wondering if <laughs> that's how Don they make the steel and in this world that's possible because obviously the White Walkers can't use heat. That would be kind of going against everything, all of their power. So just a thought <laughs> and it's probably an impossibility, but just made me laugh. And then um, lastly, the Mockingbird. And we see a lot of... Uh, bird sort of connections throughout this episode um but one of them that i thought of and originally i thought maybe it was the mockingbird that does this but i did remembered it's the cuckoo that lays its eggs in others other birds nests and then its egg hatches um and the baby the baby cuckoo will will sort of pretend that it's the same you know it's one of the other 
babies and um, the adopted parents will feed it and it'll grow bigger than the other babies often because the, the cuckoo tends to grow bigger than a lot of other, other birds. And then it'll actually push the other birds out of its nest um, and sort of fight for survival. And um, in that way, it sort of collects all of the resources that the, um, that the birds are giving it and, uh, and, and pushes the other babies out of the nest. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, and I was, originally, I thought it was the mockingbird. I was like, oh, that'd be really cool if you could make that connection. But it's still like a really interesting bird reference. And obviously with Liza being pushed out of the moon door, um, and originally my mind was going crazy with, you know, what if uh, Sansa is actually Lord Baelish's daughter and, you know, he he planted his child in the Stark nest as a, you know, as as a decoy and she's going to end up being the leader of everybody and all the other Starks are going to get pushed out and all that sort of thing. My mind started going crazy, but oh, man, um, that's it made out. it pretty clear with his advances on her in this episode that she's definitely not his daughter. And he says, you know, in another world, you would have been my child. And so it's pretty obvious that that's not the case. Uh, but I thought that was kind of a cool <laughs> thought. But maybe Robin, you know, another bird name, obviously. And Robin may be um, Baelish's son with his... Um, dealings with Liza before I know from uh, several hints in the books spoiler alert um you know Baelish and uh Liza may have had um a bastard child together before she married John Aaron and that's why um she was married off to John Aaron quite quickly um and she could have been forced to lose the child or or she just lost the child but it, it had a big effect on her. And I think maybe one of the things that drove her a little crazy. Yes, that's motivation. So uh, there's that background with Liza. So if she uh, if she has had children with Baelish in the past, then maybe Robin is Baelish's child because John Aaron was quite old. So there's a possibility that he may not have been able to have children. That's why they had so many stillbirths and, um, and miscarriages. So maybe... Uh, Maybe Baelish really is the father of John, of uh, Robin Aaron. And so in that case, his line would rule the veil. So um, so he would be sort of cementing his claim and planting his egg in the in the larger nest. That's about all I have for this week. Um, I really hope I hear some some great other feedback this week. I really enjoyed the last few episodes. And thank you for the heads up on... Um, on the Facebook Messenger. I totally lost track of your recording schedule, so I really appreciate that. All right. Uh, looking forward to hearing the episode. Talk to you later. Bye. That was a great voicemail, Lady Caroline. I loved what you um, talked about, about the nothing and how it kind of plays a role throughout this whole series. I think that was a really great catch. Lady Caroline, always so great to hear from you. Your feedback is always amazing. I really loved uh, everything you said here, the Baelish stuff, if Sansa is really his. That's a, that's a wild thought that I hadn't considered. And the info about the cuckoos, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy, the kind of brutal stuff that happens in nature, huh? And uh, again, also you really nailed Lysa's psychology here, I think, so great work. Good to hear from you. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode 79. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys for listening. We love your feedback. Please continue to contribute to Raven's Calls. Yeah, get your voice out there. We love to share it. 
Next episode, we'll be covering Season 4, Episode 8, The Mountain and the Viper. And this episode has a specific, you know, a special place in my heart, because it's the first episode, as you know, where I finally caught up binging the TV series and got to watch this episode live. And um, we'll also be having a special guest join us to talk about this episode, and that is Johnny Stitches. Yay! Yeah, from Sirenicide. A good friend as well of the show. So we are looking forward to having Johnny join us, and that is going to be a blast. I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. So give it a watch, guys, and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on the air. Holiday season is approaching, and if you'd like to support Game of Microphones without spending any extra money, you can. Just go to GameOfMicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. And while all of your prices will remain the same, Game of Microphones will receive a little finder's fee from Amazon for everything you buy in that session for directing you to their site. This is super easy to do, doesn't cost you a penny more, and makes a huge difference for us. And this way, you don't have to spend any extra money. A few people have also asked about how they can donate to the podcast, and until now, there hasn't been a way. But now, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast, or patreon.com slash, you guessed it, gompodcast. And there's links for both of those at our website, gameofmicrophones.com. Any little bit helps, and this way you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones and help ensure that we're around and still able to release podcasts. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And please, while you're there, give us a like and a rating slash review. I mentioned it last week, but for some reason, since we've come back from the hiatus, we're no longer appearing in the search results for Game of Thrones on uh, in the podcast app for iTunes uh, on iPhone. So, if you guys would kindly give us a nice review on iTunes, it might help bump us back up into the search results. We'd really appreciate that, because we'd like to, uh, you know, have people be able to find us when they search. That would be awesome. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, give us a review. (laughs) Thanks. Imslap! You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have at least 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also much appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. We're also on Tumblr at Game of Microphones. And like I mentioned, Johnny Stitches from Sirenicide will be joining us next week for The Mountain and the Viper, but... You should also go and check out the latest episode of Sirenicide, which features me as Malik Husto. And the results are in for the Morston, Texas race for governor, for which I was running. So, if you want to support me and Malik Husto for governor of Morston, Texas... Vote for Malik! (laughs) You can vote for Malik by downloading... Season 3, Episode 13 of Sirenicide. And once you listen to that one, go back and start all the way at the beginning of Sirenicide 
because it's a fun show and you're going to like it. Serial horror drama. Much in the style of the old old school radio shows of like the 40s. Really cool. Yes. Sound effects. And some of it. It's great. Nice. All right. That's our show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Haven't you had enough? Of what? I know. Time to go. Take matters into my own hands. Thought has occurred to me. So why go on? Habit. Nothing could be worse than this. Maybe nothing is worse than this. Nothing isn't better or worse than anything. Nothing is just nothing. Who are you? She looks like a peanut next to him. Uh, and I love how he says, my sword is yours until the day I die. <laughs> She's like, my sheath is yours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Holy sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we know how much you love her. <laughs> yeah. Or the bent neck lady will find you. Uh-oh. <laughs> I want no bent le- neck lady coming after me. <laughs> Dying is thirsty work. <laughs> ah, this biter jumps out of nowhere. I know. They keep you on your toes. I mean, talk about having, like, sharing issues. My word. Yeah. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Stoked about Stokeworth. Yeah, Tyrion's like, does he frighten you so much, the mountain? He's like... (laughs) Uh, yeah, dude, he's fucking Godzilla. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he fucking he terrifies me. me. He's the Hulk. Uh, no, sorry, Hodor's the Hulk. Um, who would who would uh, the Mountain be in, in like superhero? He'd be Juggernaut, of course. Yes, I was gonna say From Juggernaut. X Men, right? <laughs> yeah, you nice. Yes, great minds. You know. I still don't know if I can watch that scene. I've never watched it. I've never watched his head get it crushed. <laughs> yeah, it's, you don't have to if you don't want to. I'm not going to make you. I don't know. I don't know. I might, like, I might do it. I might do it for the rewatch. <laughs> for the watch. Hey. We'll see. Yeah. I might just inadvertently. Fear of the unknown is often not as bad as, you know, the truth. The way my husband reacted to it, but I think he reacted to it because he was completely not expecting yeah, it like, to be that yeah, graphic. The shock factor. Like, it's really fucking graphic. Going into that knowing it, like, maybe it won't be that bad. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> not really, know, though. I was, I was shocked, too. I wasn't expecting that. It's fucking wild. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I love hot pie. Hot kidney pie. <laughs> Please don't make me skin another rabbit. Thanks. I do my best. And one corner of her mouth, like, like. I'm a freezer for sure. I'm a refrigerator. I'm a virgin. I swear it. I swear it. <laughs> Interesting in itself. But, you know, she's like, I know what you did. I'm so sorry, Aunt Lysa. I should have never hit Robin. I know it. Yes. And 
you know, obviously Lysa starts losing it here. And- Don't be coy with me, you little whore. I saw you kiss him. You kissed Peter. <laughs> I swear to all the gods. She'll never love you. Let her go, Lysa. Mel's boobs hanging out all over the place. Now there's also going to be the prologue, which is an offshoot of, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, prequel. We're also on Tumblr at Game of Microphones. Sorry, I was going to say .com, <laughs> that wasn't right. <laughs> okay. We're also on Tumblr at Game of Microphones. <laughs> okay.